Episode number 56 is about to begin. Hotshot Scott is here. My name is Mitch. This is Mitch Unfiltered. It's the same cadence as this is Jeopardy. This is Mitch Unfiltered, which is available on Apple, Spotify, Google. I don't know why I'm, t- I'm told I have to say this every single time, even though people are listening. How are they listening if they don't know that it's on Apple, Spotify, Google, or MitchUnfiltered.com? I don't get the... There's something that's not connecting for me. I need I need East Eastgate State yeah. education to tell me. Not only do you say it every time, but then you tell us that you have to say it every time <laughs> as well. Every time. Well, explain it to me. Yeah, Why do you have to? Why wouldn't people already know that? Or is it possible they're hearing it like maybe on the website or something and, and they don't know that they can subscribe on Apple, that's probably Spotify, it. Google. Yeah. Right. yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah. We're not available on iHeart, by the way. Come on. Really? Yeah. Did you not know that? I didn't know that. They took a pass? <laughs> well, yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I'm not available on iHeart. This show cannot be heard on iHeart. And by the way, if you don't get enough of me, and I don't know when people are listening to this, probably too late, I am going to be again. Did you know that I was on the BJ Shea show, the, the BJ Shea experience? I did know. And on I The listened. Rock? You did. And how did that sound? I listened you? to the podcast of it. I wasn't up in uh. time to listen. <laughs> I had to go back. At like, I was like, oh, yeah, Mitch was on. It, yeah. was, it was good. Yeah, it was not Sound bad. like you had fun. Yeah. You enjoyed it? Doing it again on Monday. Oh, great. Yeah, I think it's going to be a regular thing. Really? Yeah. I how think I'm f- making a regular return to radio. What time did the alarm go off for that? Yeah, I know. That's what I was thinking about. Like, here we go. You're the only one who would ask me that question, and it was rough. Yeah, it's awful. It's not. It wasn't like the old days when I used to get up at four fifteen. Okay, not so. That I got bad, up at but... like at five thirty to be there at seven fifteen. But yeah. yeah, I was on local Seattle AM radio, and it looks like not AM radio. Oh, right sorry, <laughs> AM meaning AM morning. Oh, gotcha. FM okay. radio yeah, yeah. morning radio on the FM dial. Uh, and it looks like we're going to probably do it at 7.15. They want to do a Monday thing to talk about the Seahawks. That's great. Because they don't know much about sports on that show. Yeah, I don't think BJ is a sports fan at all. A little bit. Is he? A little bit. Okay. He claims to be like a Boston guy and yeah. the Patriots guy and a Red Sox guy. And he kind of fakes like he's a right. Like he knows what he's talking yeah. about. But he, re- but, but he realizes that, look. Well, he knows who he is. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't really try to fake it. He's, I think he fits more in the Microsoft employee, Star yeah. Trek kind of yeah. comic book. Yeah. But I think Steve knows sports. I'm a little concerned with episode 56 only because um, I, if people love football, this will be a great show. And if they want to hear Seahawks and Huskies, oh, oh my God. Are we, all, are we all jumping off of, uh, off of uh, whatever? Cliffs? Yes. Mountains? Well, buildings? What are we jumping off of <laughs> if we're Huskies fans? It's like... I've remembered how great it was doing a sports show. It can be the fun, you know, the yeah. most fun job in the world. And then it's the it worst. It can be the worst <laughs> job. I'm glad this isn't four hours and we have to have the coach on and the whole thing. I don't want to talk about Is there about any that. non-football or even any non-sports? Is there anything? You, you asked me. I have not yet seen it. I will watch my friend Jack Sigma, who I'm ashamed to say I was not there. I was heavily contemplating uh, being a guest of Jack's at the Hall of Fame. He was inducted in the Hall of Fame over the weekend. He was. Yeah, amongst a big crowd of NBA legends. Yeah, it was a lot of people. And you saw, I have not seen his acceptance speech. I was told that he is going to discuss, he was going to discuss the Sonics returning, the NBA returning to Seattle at some point during his speech. Is that right? He did. He just, not only the NBA, but he specifically said the Sonics. The Sonics should be there. They should be home. And he got a, you know, pretty nice little round of applause. So, yeah. How did, how did the big man do? 
How'd the big fella do? He he did. I thought he looked comfortable. Really? Up there. I thought really? he looked good. He, he was sweating. Did he get a bit? red? He gets red. <laughs> I don't really remember. Do you the remember red? Max Headroom? Oh, <laughs> who are you talking to here? Yes, of course I remember Max Headroom. Reminds me a little of Max Headroom. Did he get? Did he? Did he get a little? A little verklempt? I mean, did he get a little patchy red on the? The big fella. It didn't gets look red. red every once. In a while. No, no. But, but he it, did sweat. It was kind of cool seeing him next to Kareem. You're like, oh, yeah, Sikama is like seven feet tall because oh, yeah. they're like eye oh, yeah. to eye. I mean, yeah, watching him play golf. Bunch of huge men at that NBA Not easy weekend. to play golf when you're that big. Oh, I'm sure. The cus- yeah. yeah. It's a long ways down to the ball. He did, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah he, he did a great job. It was, did he? Yeah, it was really cool, and he took a lot of heat from uh, Ahmad Rashad, who hosted it. Why? About, uh, all the haircuts and yeah. the hairstyles. yeah. And the perm, a, yeah. Well, and then he had one. I think when he got drafted, is like bangs right in front, like a bowl cut, some yeah, weird. Yeah, not he good hair. He's got good hair settle. now, though. Yeah, he's got really good yeah, hair now. Normal now. Oh yeah, it yeah. took a little time. It took some time for him to find anybody himself. else impress you. Who was else on that panel? Anybody? Did you watch any of the other? Uh, you were talking about Bobby Jones. Yeah, but Bo- you don't remember Bobby I, Jones. It's weird because he played with Charles Barkley, who's like one of my favorite players. I don't remember Bobby Jones oh, yeah. at all. I can't believe I didn't even know he was a Hall of Famer. I remember him vividly. I don't remember his college days were a little bit before my time. He went to North Carolina. North Carolina, the first ever six. But man on the Sixers, the year he was award. on that Julius Irving, Daryl Dawkins, Caldwell yeah. Jones, Maurice Cheeks, that 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 Philadelphia 76ers team that Unfortunately, never won much because there was always the Boston Celtics waiting That's for them right. in the Eastern Conference. But they did make it to the NBA Finals. I think they won one. I think they won one. They won one. Yeah. But Bobby Jones was this kind of workman. Like, like you'd yeah. look at him and you would never know. He, he was not the picture of athleticism. And he had this – I always like, like, like giggled to myself about his body. Whatever, <laughs> most of our bodies are convex. Convex or con- goes out. Yeah. Go out. His kind of go, went in. Concave. Yeah, yeah he was kind of like, like – you could not you could not draw a straight line from his chin to his stomach. You'd have to go in, it would have to go in. Yeah. He was always so like thin. painfully thin. Yeah. Bobby Jones. I didn't even know that he was in. And he played for the legendary Dean Smith uh, Dean Smith at the North Carolina. That's right. Yeah, I I had never heard of him. I it was like this kind of I felt like I should know who he was because he looked great on the oh, highlights. Yeah. First he, ever six man all of the, the dirty year work. award yep. winner. That's yeah. that's pretty cool. Oh yeah. I, I'm surprised I, I never thought of him as a Hall of Famer, but I guess yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean yeah, he was a he was a great player, but you know, I I guess I guess the visual of Bobby Jones was never like Julius Irving or the the pretty right, right. the the beautiful uh, NBA ball players. Yeah, anyway. Bobby Jones was happy. He said that they kind of rewarded defense. I once interviewed Dean Smith before he died. Oh, okay. And on the I used to do a I used to do a uh, yeah a radio show. Oh, at the place that won't carry our podcast. No, I didn't say that. It oh. was, it's it's iHeart. Yeah, I guess it's the the parent the parent company. Sure is, yeah. Um, anyway, I did. Uh, anyway, I did. Uh, I, anyway. I, I I had Dean Smith. That was it. Was one of the, you asked me when I ever got nervous for interviews? Did uh-huh. I ever get nervous for interviews? I got nervous for a lot of them. I remember. I remember specifically being. And we haven't even started the show yet. We're still in the tease. I guess oh, I should sorry. tell people. But anyway, we. I remember vividly being nervous about Dean Smith. The Dean Smith interview. How old were you roughly? Like, were you like had you done a bunch of interviews? Oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, so yeah. You, it was probably in the middle. Okay, the middle of that little run. What what made you so nervous? Just because you I revered legend, him? Or? Legendary. Yeah. I mean, at the time, the greatest yeah. college basketball before Shashevsky came really around. He was it. I mean, he was the he was the standard. He and John Wooden were the standards. Dean Smith, John Wooden, greatest. Co- and there I was on a little radio show in Seattle <laughs> yeah. interviewing Dean Smith. He had written a book or something, and I just remember he told a story that was really funny about his first when he. Became now this is probably in the late fifties, early sixties. He became the coach of North Carolina. I, I don't remember what I asked him. Something like, 
do you remember like doing something stupid or something like when you were really young? He says, I remember one, I remember one story and he told the story. It's, it's interesting because he did, he seems like the opposite of a guy who would do anything stupid. You know, he just seems like serious and incredible. Got his act together. Oh, so that's why yeah. I think that's interesting. Well, question. I don't know that he did anything stupid, but his story was, and you might not find this any interesting. I, I laughed like hell. <laughs> he, he said when I, when he became a head coach, somebody had impressed upon him when he was assistant, when he was a, an assistant or when he was a player that you don't have to – there used to be this thing about being too macho to come out of games, like to pull yourself – like whoever would pull yourself – when he became a coach, there was never a ball player, a basketball player, who would ever willingly take himself out of a game. Sure, yeah. And he didn't believe in that. A young <laughs> Dean Smith did not believe in that. He believed – what he told his kids, he said – I want you to go out there and just lay it all on the line for the minutes that you're out there. And then when you get to a point where you're a little tired, you tell me there is no, absolutely nothing wrong. You tell me, I bring you out, and then you go back in. I want you to tell me when you're getting a little fatigued yeah. because I don't want you out there. And it's not an indictment, and it's not a, a, a you know a suggestion that you're not in shape. I, you just tell me. And this is what we're going to do. And, he, and he told, this was his first year. He says, this is what we're going to do. It's a fist. You give me you give me a fist. When you give me the fist, I know I'll yep. get you out. And you don't have to worry about me getting mad at you. In football now, it's just tap the helmet, right? You notice some guys yeah, want yeah. to blow, they tap their helmet. Well, some of them just walk out. <laughs> yeah, like Chris, right. I saw Chris Carson. I was just going to say, he Chris carried Carson. the ball once, and he's like, just walks out. <laughs> like, I'm good. I'm done. I'm done. Uh, but uh, and, uh, as, Dean, as uh, Dean Smith told the story, he was coaching in his first he th- I think it was his first ever game at North Carolina. Wow. The first of, and he became the winningest coach of all time. The first game, his guys are running up and down, and one guy's like ready to die out there. And he's giving him the fist, and Smith forgot that that was the sign. He's giving him the fist. He thought he was saying, "Go, coach." He was like, "Go." He's giving him the fist back. That is awesome. Yeah, I'm with you, buddy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he's like, "I can't." Boy, boy, this guy's really got a lot of passion. He keeps right. giving me the fist, and he was like. Oh, shit, I forgot. <laughs> right. He's trying to get out of the game. <laughs> That's really funny. I didn't but, know who knew Dean Smith had a sense of humor. I mean, right? Doesn't he seem very serious to you? He, no, he, yeah, yeah, he was. He was serious, but really, uh, God, that was really, that was really great when he was on. That's like, funny. Like, it was like, I remember, I don't remember a lot of interviews, but I remember that one. I got yeah. another name on this NBA Hall of Fame. We can do it later, or we can, I can throw it at you now. That kind of made me feel old. I, this guy, I feel like, I remember... We haven't started the show yet. Oh, well, then why don't we start the show? We can, you, you can give me the name. Vlade Divac. Is, is already in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> yeah. Did he flop on his way to the pedestal? <laughs> Did he trip and look for a foul? He and Yakov Smirnov oh, are, yeah. <laughs> are like Russian nesting what, dolls. What a country. <laughs> <laughs> they look exactly the same. But I remember That's Vlade right. Divac yeah, was yeah. this young guy playing yeah. with magic from Europe, and now he's in the Hall of Fame. I remember Vlade... I guess it was the European players, but Vlade Divac used to just get on my nerves flopped, cried for fouls. Even our own Detlef Schrempf, who I see all the time, great guy, mm-hmm. love his family. Boy, he was a he was a, an all all time whiner. A lot of yeah. a lot of European European players are whiners. But uh, yeah, Divac was a uh, he went in the Hall of Fame. I, I couldn't believe it. Made me feel old. Episode fifty six. Uh, we can name this one really easy. This is going to be the easy one of the easiest naming jobs of all time. So we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. We'll do that. Uh, our our guests are Brady Henderson. Great. Uh, he'll, be, uh, he'll be with us to reflect upon a close call, a very, very close call, making me wonder, why don't we just all become fans of the – Foot. it would have been so much easier all these years if I wasn't a fan of football. 
Oh, are you kidding me? Like, I look at people who don't care about sports, and I envy them. I know. I envy and they're them. all young looking. I, 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 <laughs> is that what it is? Is that where the great came from? Oh, my God. Yeah. These games. I, I was sitting here thinking, these games, they put they take years off my life. I sit here obsessing for three hours. Other people go to the ballet. Yeah. They go have a picnic. Yeah. It was probably, I mean, it wasn't a nice day outside today. But uh, they go do things. They go hiking they spend, or rock climbing. They spend time with their families. Yeah. Here I am obsessing. Right, right. I'm 52 years old and yeah. it really ma- it mattered so much that they won that game. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? You're watching sports like it's you did not, when you are 12. Well, yeah. You're and the same and, guy. And I don't know anybody. What does it mean to me? <laughs> right. This doesn't help me that they win. Like when they won the Super Bowl, I was so excited. I was like, wait, do I get a check for like no, $100,000 or anything? You don't get anything. anything. You get nothing. Yeah. No. You, get nothing. you have to pay for everything. <laughs> right. I don't understand why this means so much to us. Where, what happened? I don't know. My, my wife once announced to me that if sports didn't exist, her life would be no different. And I was, that was when I was doing a sports show, by the way. I was like, well, that might be a little different. But yeah, she just, just could not. I like, would look she enjoys so it, but young. Could, could not care any less. I would be so young. Yeah. I'd look like 25 right now. The only thing worse than what happened today with the Seahawks was when they actually lose the game, like the Huskies. Oh, God. 1.30 in the morning, and I'm walking upstairs like, what did I just do? Brady Henderson, Rick Neuheisel, and maybe some other guests. We're trying to get somebody tonight before we go to, to, to print with 56 from the U.S. Open. The U.S. Open was great. Oh, was it? Oh, my God. So we're trying to get somebody from the U.S. Open on as well. But at the time of this recording, I don't know whether that person's coming through or not. It's really up to Steve is working frantically behind the scenes. Well, good for him. Okay. Did, did it go late? I mean, is that why? Is oh, it-, it went five hours. It was oh, incredible. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. So a major episode 56 with the Seahawks and the Huskies and everything else happening in the world of football and sports. All brought to you by Zeke's Pizza with now 17 locations. Bothell to Tacoma, truly homegrown in the Northwest. The perfect spot to watch the game and enjoy pizza or bring your youth sports teams. Don't forget the new location in Woodenville. Also, Zeke'sPizza.com for some delivery service at Zeke's Pizza. Daniel's Broiler with four all-time locations, each providing great ambiances, the same world-class service, and the best steaks anywhere. Leshheim Arena, South Lake Union, a top Bellevue place in the newest jewel downtown at the brand-new Hyatt Regency. There's no place like Daniel's for special occasions the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage everybody's doing it take the opportunity to save some money on a refinance of your home Jordan Flowers Guild Mortgage Group is waiting to save you money every month with top 1% brokers in the Kirkland office 425-250-3150 the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage and Evergreen Golf Call a premier wealth manager in the Northwest check out the new Evergreen Exchange podcast it's available everywhere where podcasts are found see what tyler hay and his crew are up to at evergreengolfcall.com evergreen g-a-v-e-k-a-l.com this is episode 56 and it starts now unfiltered the seahawks have a bunch of guys after tyler lockett who are complete question marks complete question marks and tyler lockett let's not let's not put him aside for a second He's never been the man. He's always been the kind of the supporting actor, not the actor in a leading role. Now he's the actor. In a, so there's a little bit of a question with him. And then DK Metcalf question, Jerron Brown question, David Moore question, Gary Jennings question, John Ursua question. I'm probably forgetting somebody. The, the, it's just a bunch of question marks. So if, if anybody who says, oh, no, the wide receivers are great, besides Pete Carroll, the wide receivers are just fine you're not dealing with reality unfiltered are we really going to go downhill that fast the environment with the straws if we change every let's say we change everything else but we keep the straws 
Is that a good, I mean, is that a fair negotiation? We change everything else. We make everything else in this world environmentally sound, except for the straws. Is that is it the straw that breaks the, the camel's back? I mean, <laughs> I mean, is it the straw, really? Is that the end of the, the universe as we know it? Because, you know, some guy said in Seattle back in 2019 to keep the straws, and that's been our undoing. Now we have no, we have no environment. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode number 56, you want to get the naming rights right out of the way? You want me to, I mean, so easy. The easiest one we've ever done. Episode Fernando Rodney. Oh, right, with the arrow, yeah. <laughs> Probably not going to be him. Episode Jared Washburn. Jared Wash. Yeah, he was, a, he was a pitcher for the, for the Angels and the Mariners. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, I remember him. Uh, episode Cliff Averill. Taylor steps up, he gets hit, he goes down. Get in there, it's Cliff Averill. Cliff was a nice player. He was a good player, sure. Super no, Bowl? No, it can't be. Not even close. LT, baby. You're not going to give me Andre Tippett? No, I'm not going to give you Andre. <laughs> <laughs> Episode Andre Tippett? <laughs> yeah. No, or Sean Merriman. I'm not going to give you Sean Merriman or Andre oh, Tippett. Right. Or the old Seahawk linebacker, Greg Gaines. There are very few people in sports where it's just widely consensus considered unanimous that he was the best, right? Yep. Like, you could, we could have probably a debate about quarterbacks. We could have debate about centers Not guards receiver, but for, receiver jerry rice yeah, yeah. but i don't think you can have much of a conversation about linebacker. I, I think it's generally accepted that lt with all of his problems and it really breaks my heart all of his problems in his last many years mm-hmm. since he stopped playing or whatever uh lawrence taylor was like nothing anybody has ever seen game changer and like, who who was the college basketball coach when he went to college Oh, my gosh. Wait, tell me where he went first. I think he went to UNC. I think it was Dean Smith. Is that right? He went to North Carolina? <laughs> he was giving Dean Smith the fist. Take me out. That might Take have been something out. different. I think he did go to Carolina, but he, there was nothing like him. There was never anything like him. I'm not sure. I guess there are guys like him now, that these athletic, thoroughbred linebackers, but he was just yeah. something else, wasn't he? In the beginning of the movie, The Blind Side, they sort of suggested that because of Lawrence Taylor and that Joe Theismann injury and just how good Lawrence Taylor was that the left tackle became one of the most important I, pieces. I, I understand, yeah. So he literally like Maybe changed. Maybe he revolutionized the game. Revolutionized the game, right. Because he always came from the right. I don't remember. I, th- I thought he moved around, but he was just so Nonetheless, athletic. you just had yeah. to protect the quarterback's blind side. Yes, was, you did. Yeah, uh, because uh, of guys like him. Uh, you like that movie, huh? Well, I, it was interesting. I never thought about that, that he's the reason, really. That- I now remember when you say that, that they had the, didn't they have the clip of him hurting yeah. Joe Theismann in that movie? Wasn't yes. it in the, wasn't somebody watching that? Well, no one was. The beginning it, of the it movie? It just sort of starts and Sandra Bullock's just oh, narrating okay. it, yeah. trying to explain why the left tackle is so important. Right, all right. So well, episode LT, right? Yes. Episode LT, sure. so we get easy. First down, Lions. Here comes the rush by Taylor. And you talk about strong. You talk about athletic ability. Look at that. Like one of those rodeo guys. Watch this. Blockers don't bother him. The guard's out on him, right through the guard. Grab Danielson. That's enough for that. Whap, there you go, right in the ground. Did you go to the Huskies game? Thank God I did not. I went the week before, and I'm so glad I picked that one instead of this one. It First of all, torture. it was the weirdest. I didn't know whether they were going to play the game. Yeah. I didn't know how long. But you just knew when they had the delay and it became two hours. I don't know. Maybe just because this is the way I think. I just started thinking, my mind started working on me like, okay, everybody's going to leave. They're not going to have a home field advantage. They're going to be playing way, way in the wee hours in the morning. This is, this, is the, this is the ingredients of the team that's supposed to win not winning. 
You know what I mean gotcha. by that? Yeah, yeah. It was a it was a bad combo of a lot of things. I mean, this is... I mean if there was ever, a, and I don't want to make excuses. I'm not making excuses for the Huskies, but I would just say if there was ever going to be like a situation where a team could that's supposed to win easy, they were two touchdown favorites. Amazing. Where a team is supposed to beat another team easy. If there was ever when these types of things happen, these delays and and electricity in the air and playing at one o'clock in weird situations in front of fifteen, I would think that all of that stuff kind of favors the underdog. It just equals the playing field, yeah, don't you think? E- equalizer, yeah, for sure. Yeah, complete yeah. equally e- equalizer. Because before it happened, I felt like the Huskies had a little momentum going, right? Didn't it sort of feel like that? No, or, it didn't. Oh, really? <laughs> I no. felt like they were driving. It was like yeah, really, maybe not. Not really nothing was going. I mean, it was real early. It was like, it was really it was early, like 11 yeah. minutes to go in the first, first quarter. I just Ugh. felt like, you know, it, it just made, it made for an evening that was ripe for an uncommon result. That's yeah. all I'm saying. And again, That's this fair, is sounding like... And I, I don't give. I don't care. I, I mean, I, I don't want people to say, "Oh, you're just making like." There's probably Cougar fans saying, "Hey, let's talk about Washington State. We yeah. scored 60 points again the other day." Uh, the Huskies lost 20 to 19. You had the weather delay. You had dropped passes out the kazoo. Uh, you had a 74 yard drive in the final two minutes. They couldn't stop them after they took the lead. The they couldn't stop them. You had a crazy. Uh. What was going on with the clock? Oh, yeah, that was weird, too. What yeah. was he doing with his timeouts? Why was he not taking a timeout? They could have taken a timeout yeah. with 29 seconds to go after the rundown that, that looked like it might be a touchdown, might not be. He should have been he should have been on the sidelines with the, the referee, the line, whatever, the, the side guy. Before that play even started, he should have been in his ear saying, okay, if they score a touchdown here, obviously I don't want a timeout because you're going to stop the clock. Yeah. Anything other – as soon as you blow the whistle, I want a time. He should have been telling that guy before that play ran. That play started at 35 seconds. It ended at 29. He could have called a timeout right then. So if you do the math, instead of 29 calling a timeout, it went down to like 20 or 19. If he calls a timeout, he's got a timeout there. Yeah. If he calls a timeout at 29 – they kick the field goal, right? 29 to 25. Then there's a timeout, 25 seconds. They kick the ball off. You got a guy who can throw it 70 yards. Yeah, it's, you never know. You got more than one play. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to throw it 70 yards. Yeah. And you get you get a, a timeout on a first down. You can use the middle of the field if you get up and spike the ball real quickly. They'll stop the clock if you get a first down. Yeah. The whole – it just I, – I don't know. And it's funny because – and people have heard this before from me. I'm kind of a stickler on this. But – for as great a coach as Chris Peterson is, and he is one of America's best coaches, I do believe that. I think the Huskies are so lucky. Jen Cohen pulled pulled a rabbit out of her rear. I mean, this was a, one of the great hires. I think he's one of the absolute um, esteemed great, I think any coach would tell you. And for all of that, for some reason about once a year, maybe even more, he messes up the clock at the end of games. He just not – I don't know if he's not thinking. I don't know if he doesn't have a guy. You know, normally these people have people on their staff that well, says, hey, coach, yeah. call the timeout. For his, I mean, this is a – he's like a, a, le, a Hall of Fame coach, and he can't figure out how to call a timeout with 29 seconds to go. I, I never understood it. I, why doesn't – like, you had a producer in your life. For, I uh, did. Why doesn't he have, like, a producer going, hey, 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 call I think it they here, do. Well, like, like, Pete uh, Carroll's got somebody up yeah. there He's dead, whose job is only to manage the clock. You always see Pete Carroll standing by the ref, like, watching the clock, counting it down. Yeah, I, I don't get how that works. I don't – maybe Chris Peterson would have a, an a, a explanation for he's it. He's always got an explanation. Oh, okay. He does. He he's messed up a few, but he's really kind of staunchly defended himself. Like if I had to do it all over again, I'd do it again. We all just kind of chuckle. 
it's like it's like Achilles. Do you know the Greek god or is it a Roman? I don't know which is he yeah. a Greek god? Is Greek Achilles god, yeah. the Greek god? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. I mean, he is like this unbelievable coach in all ways, but somehow they put the thumb when they dipped him in the in the in the water, whatever the river sticks or whatever, whatever <laughs> yeah, they yeah. whatever they dipped him, not the river sticks, but wherever they dipped him to make him immortal, and they put the thumb over the Achilles. That's where the Achilles comes from. Yeah. So the thumb went over clock management. Yeah. He's right. like this, he just can't. That's the one place you can get Chris Peterson is on clock management. Maybe he doesn't have to do it very often, so he's not good at it. I mean, I don't know. It's early in the year. I they, can't remember. It was like an Arizona Easter. game a few years ago. People in our audience know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, but it just takes the whole to, – to lose so early in the season, even though – I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be your shining optimism here. Even though if you're going to lose a game, you want to lose it really early because – you get the chance to to rattle off a bunch of wins and come up the polls. You have time to react. You have time to respond. You have time to come overcome. If you're going to lose, you don't want to lose late. You'd rather lose Fair early. Enough, but the, but this just takes the starch right out of the entire season, right? Yes. When you're when the team you root for is out of the playoffs in week two, that's not fun. They're out of the playoffs. They're, they don't have a chance. If they were to win out, I, they wouldn't make it. I don't think. Well, right? Do we really want to talk about that after they just lost to California? Well, that uh, Do, is it really worthy of conversation? Enough. I could have the conversation with you. I feel like I shouldn't, but I will tell you that I think if they win out, they will have a legitimate chance to still play for the playoff. Chance, but they're not a yeah. lock. No, no, they're yeah, not yeah. a lock with one loss. Yeah. But I think, you know, depending on what happens around the country, if you really want to have this conversation after, after, after they just weren't good enough at home to be Cal, <laughs> I'm not suggesting we, we, they're good enough. Okay, I'm just but saying I think, my team's out of it after week. I two. don't think they're out of it. I don't really? think they're mathematic. If you're asking me if they're mathematically eliminated, yes, I am. you're talking about winning out, mm-hmm. winning the Pac-12, winning beating the Pac-12 championship game, beating Oregon, beating yep. Utah, winning the Pac-12 championship game, finishing whatever it is, 11-1, and 12-1, whatever it is. I, I, I don't think it's a guarantee, but I think that they, yes, that they would still be in the conversation mm-hmm. for a Final Four berth, depending upon, I mean, if there's four other, you know, undefeated teams I can't help that right. but if we start talking about teams with a loss you'll have they'll be in the conversation Alabama won't lose Clemson won't lose why we're having this conversation That's when they're fun. not good enough to stop Cal from going 75 yards down the field and kicking the game-winning field yeah. goal on you can I give a quick pet peeve about the Husky offense and to some extent the Seahawks offense yeah you know the zone read option or the read option yeah if Jacob Eason's never gonna keep it, why even go through the routine of doing that that play? Good question. They just fly to the ball carrier knowing that the six six kid, he ain't keeping it. And right? if he does, he doesn't look great running right. it. Right. <laughs> why even run that? Yeah, it's a good question. And he saw it with Russell. We'll get into that later. You know, he finally kept it like in the fourth quarter. But why even run that play with well, Jacob he could Eason? he could not give it to him and then throw. Great. When's that going to happen? <laughs> I'm ready for it. He could he could he could hold it and throw. Oh, that would be awesome. I yeah. would love to see that. I don't that. know why they do it. Oh, it drives me crazy. Because Russell doesn't keep it anymore very – almost almost never anymore does Russell he keep it. Used to in his, in his early days. Well, he'll start keeping it around game 12, 13 when they're in the playoff. He hunt. kept it a couple <laughs> times down the stretch in the game on Sunday. That's when he a couple tends of times. to keep it. I, uh, I, Business I don't, decision. I, the, answer, the answer is I don't know. Gosh, it drives me nuts. The Just answer is I don't next know. Next time you watch, I if, I, the if answer in fact is I, you'll watch them again, <laughs> I don't know. Should I watch them again? They're out of it. My team's out of it. They play Hawaii this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Hawaii's two and zero, having beaten two Pac-12 teams. In case you care, I think they beat Arizona and Oregon State to get to two and zero. Anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll be watching. Good luck. Can't wait to watch the college football playoffs without the Huskies. It's tough. It's rough. Week two, we're talking. Week two, about. right? 
What Usually, a crusher. It, Cougar it, fans are just going crazy. Oh, they're <laughs> loving it. And they deserve to love it. They they deserve it. They Laugh it up. Uh, laugh it up. You, we've earned it. <laughs> and then the Seahawks barely over the uh, over the Bengals 21 to 20. So one team lost 20 to 19 and the other team won 21 to 20 in a very flawed how they look. Do they look like a Super Bowl team to you? <laughs> the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday? Uh, they did not look like a Super Bowl team to me. No. It was the offense was putrid should to start we, out. Should we care about all the flaws? Should we just be celebrating that they're 1 and 0 and nobody really cares about how they got to want to know because in in four months when it comes time to decide who's going to make the playoffs there's only one thing that's going to matter about the first week's game against Cincinnati and that is did you win or did you lose where is it in the standings if you won it then that's all nobody's going to care how you play you played well it's definitely silly to suggest that the season may go one way or another after one game in the NFL right Mm -hmm. college football we know it's over but at the Seahawks who knows they're going to get some guys back everyone's a little rusty so I know I agree one win, you're one to know. Take it. Two very, very blatant, obvious flaws and weaknesses of the team. One of which we saw coming, at least I saw coming. I was going to say any that you discussed, maybe. Oh yeah, <laughs> one, one I saw coming, one I didn't see coming. If I'm, if I'm being frank, the offensive line, which I thought played very, very well during the preseason, the first team offensive line, I thought really had a good preseason for as little as they played together, even without Ayupati with Posick in there. Uh, I thought that they were in good shape to have a very good day. Now, I will say this, that I learned from my, my, my patron episode the other day, that Cincinnati's strength, maybe on the entire football team, is their front four, defensive front four. That's their best, that's their best unit. That's their best room, okay. as they say. The best room in the building is the defensive line. They look like the 85 Chicago Bears at times. Oh, I mean, it looked so they dominant. They manhandled the Seahawks. They did. Which is really disconcerting. Now, it's only one game... And Ayupati didn't play, and I don't know what the difference is because Posick may have played okay, but 2.9 yards a carry was what the Seahawks got on the ground. And they were useless. They could not do anything the first two, three, four possessions because the offensive line could not block the defensive line of the Bengals. They were just rendered completely useless, void of any issues, yep. uh, of any, of any, uh, of any high power, any octane at the beginning just because of the offensive line. After the first two possessions, they had five total yards, and then they do a third possession, and they go to four total yards. They lost a yard on that last, on the third possession. So the three possessions, four yards. That's right. right. Three possessions, four yards. And it was all because they just couldn't couldn't block anybody. Couldn't block anyone. They were just blowing up every play. Running game, passing game. I mean, they just, they couldn't block anybody. And then they got into a little bit of a rhythm and they did a little bit better. But so that is a major, that's obviously a major concern. I I think it will get better. I think the offensive line will get better because I I have seen them play as a unit pretty good, even though I don't like a Fetty. I've seen them as a unit play pretty good. The one area that was again exposed on Sunday, which you saw coming if you've listened to this podcast or even if you've watched the team is their pass defense. Yeah. They've got no pass defense. Now, they did get a little bit of pressure here and there. I think they had five sacks as a team, which isn't bad. That's not a bad number. But Andy Dalton threw for 418 yards. Set a career recording for completions. Without his best receiver. Yeah, right. Yeah. His best receiver, A.J. Green, is standing on the sidelines, and he throws for 418 yards on the road in Seattle against the Seahawks defense. Their secondary is just not very good. Their pass defense is not very good. They're going up against Ben Roethlisberger next week and Drew Brees the following week. Right. 
I, and I don't know. I don't know what the answer. Maybe the answer is that Ziggy Ansah is going to play, and they're even going to get more pass rush and Jadavion Clowney's going to play better or, or more consistent throughout the game, and they're going to get more pass. And L.J. Collier's yeah. going to play, and they're going to be better on the defensive line. But I, I just worry about that secondary. I am not. I'm not convinced about Shaq Griffin. I'm not convinced about Trey Flowers. I'm certainly not convinced about. Tedrick Thompson, how do you look on the right. play at the end of the half? And of course, the announcers had to rub it in by saying, well, typically in the past few years, uh, Earl Thomas would have been back there and <laughs> definitely would have intercepted. Oh, by the way, Earl Thomas had an interception today. I watched the it like th- three minutes into the game uh, against the Miami. I saw it. Yeah. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you about their secondary. I, I don't know what to tell you about their pass defense. The intermediate passes, you know, the six and seven yarders felt very to tight end. Didn't it? To easy. tight ends, very yeah, easy. Very Little easy. pitching catches, yep. very I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's going to get better because these guys, maybe Shaq's going to get better and Trey's going to get better and, and they're going to go to Blair at the safety like you want at some point and Thompson's going to get out of there. Or, Be nice. I, I, I don't know how it gets better. And as I said, maybe it's because the defensive line will continue to get better. I don't know. But for me, I'm telling you right now, wide receiving core and secondary in coverage. Wide receiving core, which brings us to Antonio Brown. Wide receiving core and secondary coverage are the clear weaknesses, and maybe offensive line too. I don't know about that, but they're the clear weaknesses of the football team. Did you happen to see the graphic they put up about how many injury problems and suspensions the Bengals had on their offensive line? I mean, that was like a makeshift offensive line, by the way. That was hardly all their starters. The left tackle's missing. Yeah, right. They had a guy out for PED. I mean, right. and that's. Yeah. But 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 I thought Ugh. I thought that the Seahawks defensive line played well. I mean, we can go through it. The Seahawks' defensive line played well. I mean, especially against the run. They were fine against the run. Yeah. Mixon did nothing before he left the game to injury. They, they didn't do anything. They, I don't think they had 30 yards rushing Cincinnati. But the, the pass, though. The, the, they the, got they got home. Quentin yeah, Jefferson, Jefferson got home. Nice yeah. um, I thought Clowney early in the game yeah. played, a, played a factor. I, I thought the defensive line was fine. I thought the linebackers were fine. I just don't think the secondary is very good. And they play loose, and they and when they don't play loose, when they're on top of them, they get penalties, they get pass interference. I mean, they play. I don't know. I just I'm worried that we're I'm going to be talking on Mitch Unfiltered the whole year about their pass defense. I hope I'm wrong, but I just that pass defense. I don't know how it gets better, how much better. Well, like I said, gets. they tried to address it in the second round by grabbing that guy from Utah. Well, he's going to play. I hope he can. He's going to play, but he's a safety. He's going to play. He's going to play. I don't know that that's the biggest problem, although Thompson wasn't very good. Right. Huh? It can't hurt. I mean, no. let's, let's give it a try. But the other no. second-round pick looked all right. DK Metcalf? Very good. Yeah. Supply. Very, very, very good. Considering he He's on my play. laundry list. Yeah, okay. I want to do the laundry list in the next let's segment. Do we'll do a second segment with the laundry list. And then, so we'll do our, I'll do my laundry list of, of, of different interesting notes that I have from the Seahawks that you may or may not disagree. Some are, some are funny. Some are giggles. Okay. Including DK Metcalf's mouthpiece. Oh. Do we not love DK Met? Do you like it or not? No, like it? I think it's awful. I think it's great. With a physique like that, and you're in the NFL, <laughs> we can talk about it. I feel like an old man, but we'll talk about it. Get off my lawn. Yes, that's me. Uh, Brady Henderson uh, will be a guest on episode 56. Rick Neuheisel, great. Uh, who picked the Huskies. He and everybody else. He picked the Huskies to be in the Final Four. <laughs> oh, that's right. God. <laughs> He I picked I was the Huskies wrong all the to be time. in the final four. <laughs> oh, man. We might get a, a U.S. Open comment or two as well on episode 56. All right, Hotshot. Football season is now well underway, both college and pro. And I'm telling you, 
A great spot, underrated spot to watch football is Zeke's Pizza. In fact, I'm going to be going out there for some Seahawks games, maybe starting this weekend with the Pittsburgh Steelers game. The brand new 17th location is now open in Woodenville at 135th Avenue Northeast. Even movie mogul Max, every time I turn around the last few weeks, is at Zeke's. I think he was at the Kirkland location on two consecutive nights. If you're ever looking for a fun place to watch football, Zeke's Pizza locations, 17 in all, great opportunities. Zeke's is a Northwest homegrown pizza company founded in Queen Anne in 1993, and most Zeke's locations now deliver pizza, beer, wine, and even cider. Zeke'sPizza.com or call 206-285-8646. You can mix and match, order six different beers, whatever you like just order from Zeke's Pizza a great great opportunity to eat some pizza and watch your favorite football Zeke'sPizza.com 206-285-8646 Zeke's Pizza homegrown in the Northwest Unfiltered Episode 56 continues. Uh, We'll find out anything that we need to know about the Seahawks behind the scenes with Brady Henderson of ESPN. He'll be our next segment interview. Then Rick Neuheisel, the man who picked the Huskies to play in the Final Four. I don't think he's going to stand by that pick. No, I don't think he will after week two. I'll push him to stand by that pick. Maybe he'll. And I'll ask him the question. If they they run the table, I don't know that we should be having that conversation. (laughs) Maybe he'll defend it. Okay. Laundry list of a couple of of, of things. I've got ten. I don't know if you've got anything over there. Ten things that I noticed. Ten either interesting or important or neither. Interesting, neither interesting nor important. Things that I noticed about the Seahawks. First of all, first of all, are you joining me for a Taco Time taco on Tuesday? Oh, yeah, that's that's right. Rushing yes. touchdowns. Rushing We're touchdowns, back. that's right. I'm a big I'm a big believer in the taco time rushing touchdown. So you get one. Now, I don't know if that's – is that against your – like, you won't eat a taco, right? Well, I try to stay away from grains. It's got a shell, but I'm sure they would just put it in a bowl or a cup for me and it'd be No, fine. they won't. Yes, yeah, sure. Everyone does that now. Can't, can't you order it regularly and take it out of the shell yourself and just eat, sure. it, eat it with a fork? Yeah, but I don't want to waste the shell. Or I can just eat the shell and quit being a baby. Is Chris Carson a good football player or not? He looks like a good football player, but I have a concern. He drops. No. What? He runs so high. Have you noticed? He runs straight up and down. Yeah, like Eric Dickerson. Right. And who was the running back? I think it was for the Texans. He was really fast. Lamar. Oh, no. He, like, raced a horse, I think. He was so fast. <laughs> I, I can't remember. He, I remember saying that guy runs really high. Oh, what was his name? He led the league in rushing, like, two or three years. But he runs so Not high. Not Lamar Miller. No, Chris. Chris. Was there a Chris Johnson, maybe? Yeah, yeah, Chris Johnson. He was on the Titans. What did I say? Texans? Yeah, he's on the Titans. Titans. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, Chris Johnson. He yeah. was good. Yeah. He ran straight up, and I remember seeing him going, well, his career's not going to be long. He just, because he took licks, and I don't want Chris Carson to keep taking well, those he's licks. Well, he's the most physical, he's, I think he's the most physical running back. I know that we had Marshawn Lynch here, but I think he's the most physical running back in the NFL. Nobody runs harder than him. He runs no hard. One, but he's he got to get his pad level down a little bit, or he's going to take the And hits. when they handed him the ball... For a touchdown, we all eat tacos on Tuesday at Taco Time Love Northwest, it. and 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 I want to know right now: Are you? Because I will be I will be tweeting out pictures of me eating my free taco. I'm okay. going. People don't think I do. I go for my free taco at Taco Time. <laughs> all right. I get a free taco <laughs> and nothing else. And a couple, a couple. Well, I'll get something else. But a couple of times, <laughs> I'll have two or three. Like I thought, he he scored the rushing touchdown real early in the game. So I was thinking maybe it's going to be a two or three taco Tuesday. It's on Tuesday, by the way. Gotcha. And. Um, the whole world, the, the, anybody in the Pacific Northwest, all you got to do is have their app. You got to have the Taco Time oh, app. Okay. You go there, bam, free taco. Love it. 
It's free great. taco. So I'm going to get my taco on Tuesday. You got to you got to make a decision in your life whether you're gonna you're gonna be able to. Are you really you're strict on this, huh? Well, I could do a taco and I'd be fine. I did some wings today and they had breading on them. I just said, oh. forget it, <laughs> forget it. I'm ready to be 300 again. This sucks. No, but I I, I think there is a taco time in Redmond. There's got to be. Oh, are you Microsoft. kidding me? Do you want me to find one for you? Well, I have a phone. They're all over stuff. the place. Yeah. This yeah. is taco time. All right, I'll go right. take a picture. You got to get taco. your free taco on Tuesday, and you can order ahead. By the way, if you don't have the time, oh great, you go right on the uh, on the app and you can order ahead. Love it. Order before you get there. It's 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 waiting for you upon your arrival, so you don't have to stand any line. Because I know you don't like to stand in line. We get we get one taco. <laughs> we got one taco uh, for Chris Carson's uh, uh, rushing touchdown early in the game. All right, a uh, couple things. You don't like the baby pacifier mouthpiece for DK Metcalf. I was four catches, eighty nine yards. Is, I was looking at it thinking, is that what I think it is? Is that really a pacifier? No, I don't. I don't like it. I it's don't. different. It's funny. Come on. Oh, it just seems soft. It, it's and I just so. Don't like I it. mean, it, isn't it? Isn't it perfect for a man, a, a mountain of a man like DK Mech, of all the people to be wearing a pacifier, a baby yeah. pacifier's mouthpiece? He does seem like on. he has a good sense of humor. When he came in with the shirt off, remember? And, yeah. Then Pete Carroll joined Looked good. him. So I got to admit, I w- I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical. I'm, I'm becoming less and less skeptical about DK Metcalf. Hey, whenever a guy doesn't play in the entire preseason, I worry a bit. He looked good to me. Well, I just worried because he was, you know, everybody thought he was going to be the so the next up. great thing. Yeah. And yet, why didn't he catch more passes in college? Why didn't somebody draft him before they did like 60th or whatever it was? And and so I've been a little bit on the cynical side on DK Metcalf, but he played well. Didn't play in the preseason after they got hurt. Four catches for 89 yards, caught a couple of passes in traffic. Looked very, very good. So I, I think we should be encouraged by DK Metcalf. Yep. I'm, I'm with you, and I hope the other second-round pick plays at some point, too. J- he will. Okay. Jadavion Clowney? I think that was about as good as you could hope for. Yeah. Having not, You don't know the schemes. You don't know anything. You don't know the defenses. He just went out there and played football and looked athletic when he jumped up and batted that pass down. And He's tenacious, man. He chased Dalton down. and I, I'm I really thought early in the game, Jadavion Clowney looked good. I, I thought he I, – I, I didn't see much from him – as the game wore on, maybe they didn't use him as much. Maybe he got tired. Maybe his conditioning, his football conditioning isn't great. I mean, the guy held out the whole preseason and training camp, has had no training camp. But you could see early in the game by a couple of the plays that you're talking about, getting his hands up, beating guys to the inside. Yeah. He beat a couple guys to the inside and kind of disrupted plays. So quick. You could see where he's good against the run. There's still some question of how great of a pass rusher, a natural pass rusher he is. But I was overall... I'll give him a ring. I'll, I'll give him an impress. I was impressed by Jadavian. As was I. Happy, okay. happy to have him. Quentin Jefferson. Where would we be without him, right? I mean, he really carried the mail today. There was one play that I wish he had made oh, from behind yeah, from against behind. the runner. I think it was uh, Gi- Giovanni Bernard. I'm not sure. Bernard, it was like, yeah. a, like a, a screen pass that was a big play in the game that I thought might break the spirit of the Seahawks. And he was in position. It was a third down play. Maybe it wasn't a screen pass. It was a dump off. And, and yeah, I think it was a screen pass. I think pass. it was, yeah. And Jefferson was racing from behind and, and, and leaped and just, just, just couldn't bring him down. Other than that, I thought Quentin Jefferson from his defensive end position played very, very well. And that comes from a guy who thought that they were going to have one of the worst defensive lines in football without Jadavian Clowney, which yeah. Quentin Jefferson was going to be a part of. But I thought he played very, very well. As did I. Uh, Chris Car- Carson, I've said it over and over again. I, I have a crush on Chris Carson. I just think he is a, a very I want I was going to say great. He's a really really good football player. And I think the way he runs is contagious and infectious. The it's way, Marshawn Lynch like. Yeah, it is. It is. 
We just need him to get a little lower, but it is the way he runs. The touchdown great. that he scored, he scored two touchdowns, one on a runner early that gets us the taco time taco. But the 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 touchdown on the on the swing pass when he released after he yep. he chipped the guy, he chipped the end, and then he called for the ball. It was a third down play, if you recall. I don't know if you recall this. It was a third down play. He chipped the end on a block, and then he called for the ball. They tossed him the ball. He had no business even getting the first down. If you would have stopped the the, the the tape like I did, if you would have stopped the recording right there, you would have hit pause, yeah. and you would have said, okay, you would have seen where the Seattle, the Bengals defensive players were. You would have seen where he is. You would have seen where the first down marker was a key third down. I, you would have said there's no way he's getting the first. Forget a touchdown. Right. He's, he is not getting the first down. You make the call. And then when you hit play, he breaks two tackles to get the first down and then gets in. It was a little controversial whether we got into the end zone, but such a great effort. Yeah, I love Chris Carson. Uh, Tyler Lockett's drop. Yeah. First of all, where was Tyler Lockett the first three quarters of the game? Where was? Well, he? he's a number one receiver now. Maybe, uh, yeah. g- maybe gathering uh, attention from number one cornerbacks. I don't know who Cincinnati has in their backfield. I'm not going to try to pretend to tell you, but that's a question. I have an overall question about the wide receiving core. Part of that question is as much as I like Tyler Lockett as kind of a complimentary second wide receiver slot wide receiver my question has always been what's he going to be like now as the as the mail carrier the number one guy yeah. he caught the long touchdown pass and then the i thought i'm going to be honest with you i thought the drop was going to cost him the game yeah it felt like it at the time they yeah, had the sure. ball they had the ball on the lead it was a first down play late they needed first downs to, to take the clock out the Bengals were moving the ball kind of at will especially in the pass game and they 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 they, they draw up a long ball on the first down play, it is right. I mean, he could not have thrown a better pass. That ball could not have been better in the bread basket than it was, and it went right <laughs> through his hands. And I immediately said to myself, "Oh my God, yeah, they're gonna not get a first down here, which they didn't. They're gonna punt the ball, which they did, and they're gonna give up a long drive for the for the game winning points. And I'm gonna be saying on that podcast, "Oh my God, Tyler Lockett's drop cost him the game, even though other things cost him at that point." Now, as it turns out, the defense came through on that drive, and it did not cost him the game. But can I can I request no more of those? Oh my gosh, I'm hoping it's just a first game thing. Was it even raining at that point? Maybe. Yeah, it was raining. Raining a little. But it's bit, not a yeah. first game thing with Tyler Lockett. Yeah, there's really no excuse for it. Hit him right in the old bread basket. Oh, my God, right through his hands. <laughs> yeah. um, Ziggy didn't play, which was a surprise because he was practicing for a couple of weeks. And my question will be to Brady Henderson in our next segment. It will be, okay, is it possible that they didn't play him because they thought they'd win the game without him? I always wonder if they do that. I always wonder that. Do they have so much confidence? Oh, the Bengals are not beating right. us here. We don't need them for the Bengals. Let's, let's just say – let's just st- Yeah, let's just stay in for the Steelers game. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if there was a little of that going on because he was on – he, he was on schedule to play the whole time. Everybody thought he was playing the whole time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden on game day, he's inactive. And at halftime, Pete's like, Ziggy, do you have your helmet? <laughs> get in there and get dressed. We're getting our butts kicked out Too here. late now, coach. <laughs> uh, we talked about Tedrick Thompson. Talked about the pass defense. Ben and Breeze next two against that pass secondary. And my, my only other thing before we get to Brady Anderson would be, who made the decision without me? that TV is now no longer going to show you the official telling you whether the challenge was overruled, whether the play was overruled or the challenge was accepted or, or declined. Did you notice that? No, I didn't. Explain that. So the challenges, yeah. in the old days, you challenge, when I say the old days, last year, <laughs> right. you challenge, they, the TV would go to commercial, 
They'd come back. You'd be waiting. They'd show you the replay on the way to commercial, or maybe on the way back. You'd come back, and the official would say, after further review, after yeah. further review, the play is overturned or, or, the, stands. or, or stands, right? They didn't do that? The first four times, it's almost like they, they've got a new policy. They went to the break, and then they come back from the break. The decision's already been announced, and they say it's been overturned or it's been confirmed. They don't, they, don't, they don't give you the drama, oh, the drama of the official. I want that back. Yeah, that I don't is know, great. I don't know if that was a CBS thing because CBS had actually had the Seahawks game on Sunday or whether it's a TV thing or whether it's a Fox thing. I didn't notice from the other – I wasn't watching the other game so closely, but that was new. It was always – the guy didn't make the announcement until TV was back. Sure, it makes and sense. Then, and then you'd see him see, come up, he put his mic yeah. on. It was always very exciting. You want to know – but now – at least on Sunday, they took that they took that intrigue away from me. We'll see if they do it next week. Yeah, that is interesting because I love to hear the roar of the crowd or the boos or whatever. It's a cool part of the game. Yeah. What do you think about it's that drama? That PI call at the end, towards the end there, where Trey Flowers came around and then they challenged it. Did you think that was going to get overturned? No, I didn't think it was going to get overturned. Was it silly to challenge? I, I would not have. I, I thought. I thought. I, I would not. No. Well, silly. It was a big moment in the game, and Pete Carroll tried, but as soon as he threw the flag, my reaction on Twitter was. No way. No way is that getting overturned. Not that it was flagrant pass interference, but they called pass interference. And what they have said and what I, 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 I really do believe, they have said if we call pass interference and you challenge us that it's not pass interference, then it better be as clear as the nose on Mitch Levy's face. Oh, boy. That is clear. That there's zip, like the guy better not be in the same area code as the wide receiver for us to overturn a, a penalty that we called on pass interference. And it was a bang bang play. I don't like the call. I would not have made the call if I was the official. I'm not saying that it was a good call. I'm just saying that once they made the call, his left arm, his off arm, was around him a little bit. Yeah. There was there was a little bit of contact. There, there was. Based on what I've heard and seen and the way they've displayed it, there was no way that they were going to overturn that call. Now, I will tell you this, and this is not about the P.I., the play at the end of the game? That was so bizarre, wasn't it? The play at the end of the game with, with Dalton's arm going forward, they called that a fumble. Right. I guess they called it a sack. I guess that's one of the five sacks that the Seahawks got. They called it a fumble. There was no way that was a fumble. No, not His a fumble. arm was clearly going forward, and, and, the, and, and the defender got their hand on the arm, but it didn't, he did not lose control at all of that ball. The arm was going forward. That, that was an easy – I can't believe – like I was stunned. I, was, I accept it. I'll take it. As a Seahawks fan, I'll take it. It felt dirty and weird. <laughs> it just felt like, no, no. Just take it. Don't, yeah, I guess don't I look a gift horse in the mouth. Do you know where that expression comes from? I think I do, finally. I was thinking about it. If somebody gives you a horse, yeah. you don't want to see how – because you used to tell how old a horse is. I guess you still can, but how long their teeth are. So if you look at You're in the, close. Okay, so it's nothing to do with the age of the horse? No. Don't say, oh, this horse is too old. From what I understand, that traditionally horses have bad teeth. Okay. They just have bad mouths. They have ugly like, mouths. They have ugly teeth. They have bad teeth. They okay. don't go to the dentist. They don't have an orthodontist. Gotcha. Yeah. Horses, horses have bad teeth. So I think I may be wrong about this. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's age or something. But I think traditionally they have bad teeth. And somewhere a, a million years ago, the idea was, okay, they gave horses away as gifts. Well, if you get a horse, let's not look at his teeth. Let's not obsess about how ugly his teeth are. It's a, it's a, it's a nice gift. Okay. Well, I think we're on the same page. Yeah, kind of on the same page. Yeah, so yeah, don't, don't look at gift horse in the mouth. Don't look for something wrong with right, it. Don't Just look for the blood. your gift. Yeah, take, take, take the gift on the... Uh, because for all we know, Tedrick Thompson was going to get burned on a, on a uh, Hail Mary. Can we not do on better? On the next than, play. Can we not do better than him at safety? Is there really nobody else out there that can play? 
Now I know he just missed time to jump. He's Everyone's all right. Done it. He's all right. Is I, he? I think ultimately he won't be in there. Your guy will be in there. Marquise Blair right. will be in there. My hope. It's just a matter of time. And is it? It's very Seattle, and maybe every fan around would say this. Very Seattle to have a guy have a career day. Not only Dalton, but then John Ross, right? I said John Ross would be in Canada in three years. <laughs> Thank you, John, for proving me completely wrong. He looked like. Uh, did he do the Tyree? Washington? Yeah, he he did. Did he do the Washington fingers when he scored the touchdown? He did double. He du- did double W's. He double W. Yep. At least he didn't do a cow gesture of some sort. <laughs> yeah, he should have to really rub it in. Uh, but John Ross, is he the best receiver in the NFL now? Is that what we're to no, believe? No, no, no. Oh. He drops a lot of balls, too. Well, he, he does not He does not catch a lot. And he'll the, be hurt. He'll be hurt next Wednesday. Right. Just a matter of time before that frame, that slight frame will be hurt. The Huskies dropped a ton of balls. The Seahawks had some drops. And then John Ross, who is a Husky, playing against the Seahawks, had drops. It was yeah. drops everywhere yeah. this weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a good game. Ugh. John Ross definitely had a good game in, good. In, in A.J. Green's absence. All right, so we've got Brady Henderson on episode 56. We've got Rick Neuheisel on episode 56. And you and I have to finish up the show on episode 56. We've already named the show, but i got a, a number of other different little sportsy, NFL, college things Great. Um, a- after the guests are over, all right? Before we get to Brady Henderson, Rick Neuheisel, and Dan Wolken of the USA Today, let's hear from our executive producer, Steve Dion, who recently refinanced his home through the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Yeah, I gave uh, Jordan a buzz in uh, late July. Um, was interested to get a uh, quote on a refi, um, just the way the market has been with, with interest rates dropping as they have. Kind of tailored a, a mortgage around my preferences one of the main parts that was appealing was the fact that he was able to cut out my mortgage insurance. Uh, he bought that out completely, um, really consolidated the loan into one clean monthly payment, amortized over a shorter time horizon and at a lower rate. Really easy process. You know, working with Jordan and Christina there, not not bad for a coog. You know, I <laughs> I was uh, hesitant to put my. Uh, put my dollars and cents into uh, the hands of a, a wazoo grad but you know it all turned out t- turned out well th- thus far from beginning to end steve how long did it take took about a month total how long was the first phone conversation until you determined what you could save per month it's about a 15 minute call when you include the mortgage insurance how much less are you paying per month now on a percentage basis thanks to the refi with the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage? I'm paying about 8 to 10% less a month. On top of that, uh, we'll be paying for five less years. So it's kind of a win-win on both, both sides. So my line on the podcast that you're crazy not to call the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage with the low interest rates at the moment, just to find out what you could be saving in a refinance is on point. Well, it, it's valid unless you want to spend more money every month. I mean, <laughs> oh, and Mitch, one last thing. Where's my tumbler? <laughs> there it is. Stop standing on the sidelines. Guild Mortgage and the Kirkland office at 425-250-3150. You could start saving big time today. Unfiltered. First and goal after the penalty. Wilson into the end zone for the Seattle touchdown. Wilson looking right, throws. This is Carson breaking a couple of tackles. Carson strolls into the end zone for the touchdown. Wilson with a lead option. 
Making a run. Passing. Wide open. It's Tyler Luckett for the touchdown. Dalton get under pressure. Knocked out. After review, the ruling on the field is confirmed of a fumbled ball recovered by Seattle. It wasn't a game that uh, I hoped it would be, but I was concerned that I mean, we might be a little messy trying to figure out what they were doing, and, and uh, we really took away the running game totally, and, and uh, they just threw the heck out of it. And Andy did a great job. Um, you know, hit, hit a bunch of guys. They made a lot of nice catches and stuff, and they did a good job throwing football. But when you look at this game as a, from a defensive side of the ball, you know, we, we really blew it on the on the long one that they get it. You know, sec, it's third and 18 or something like that. That's one. The other one was a flea flicker that they got us on, which was a really nicely executed play by them. And I give them credit for it. But uh, those are two big plays. And the rest of the game was we were, we found our way to get get off the field. So uh, a lot of positive stuff there. Good win. It's great to get here, to be here, and play here for, uh, to start this thing off. We have a big trip coming up and, and all that. We'll talk about it. But uh, um, the challenges have begun. And uh, the first one, it was about believing. And the guys hung tough today. Well, Fireside Home Solutions and FiresideHomeSolutions.com remind you that uh, football season is, of course, fireplace season, and you can get a new fireplace that will literally transform your home. Start the process at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. They bring you uh, Brady Henderson of ESPN and ESPN.com, the Seahawks insider, and Mitch Unfiltered. We finally have a real game to talk about, Brady, and I guess the best way to put this is three months from now, when they're figuring out who's going to make the playoffs and who's not going to make in the playoffs, the only thing that matters about the Bengals game in September is did the Seahawks win it or lose it, right? That's the that's the positive way. I'm going to try to be a positive guy right now. That's the positive way of looking at this uh, this effort on, on Sunday number one by the Seahawks. Yeah, that, that's the way to look at it. And I, I guess the other way to look at it would be that this is really the how the Seahawks play a lot. You know, uh, this was sort of a classic game for them in the sense of, you know, we see them a lot of times really start poorly uh, and then make just enough plays at the end. Um, so certainly a lot closer than you would expect it to be against the team that, you know, didn't have maybe its best player and A.J. Green, a team that's not really supposed to, to really factor into the uh, AFC North there in terms of playoff contention. But um, we've just seen this too many times to, to, to be to- too surprised by this. Okay, so there's two things that were obviously alarming to a lot of Seahawks fans. One, one thing I think we kind of probably anticipated a little bit, and the other one was a bit of a surprise for me. Let's start with the offensive line. You and I discussed all preseason on Mitch Unfiltered that the first-team offensive line really played well together, even without Ayupati, even with Posick in there. They did a very good job in the preseason time that they got out on the field. And then week one hits and those first two or three possessions, it was like they had never seen each other. They had never been introduced to each other. They didn't know how to play offensive line football. I mean, the, the Seahawks offense could literally do nothing. They were paralyzed by how dominant the Bengals' defensive line was against the Seahawks' offensive line. Yeah, and, and you know, look, whenever there's a, a sack, I think you, you sort of have to think, okay, maybe does the quarterback bear some of the responsibility there in terms of not getting the ball out on time? But, you know, to my naked eye, just watching it live, that seemed – uh, generally speaking, a lot more a matter of just Russell not really having a chance and just, you know, the pass protection breaking down before the play really has a chance to get off the ground. So, um, 
I agree that they did look better uh, during the summer and during the preseason, but there also was not a ton of film just because, you know, not a ton of actual game reps there just because the starters, you know, didn't play in that first game. You know, we all know the rest of the story there. Um, and I think at the end of the day, this is always going to be an offensive line that is much better built, or much built, you know, more so built to, to run block than pass protect. Um, it's, I don't know if we're ever going to see that really be a, a huge strength of that group. And, you know, the other thing I'll add there is, you know, I thought, again, just my untrained eye watching it in real time as opposed to going back and watching the film, you know, I, I wondered if maybe you could have seen them uh, go to some of the movement earlier like you saw them do on that, that first play of the fourth quarter where they really got Russell out of the pocket. Yes. Uh, that was the 44-yard touchdown pass to, to Tyler Lockett. When he threw that ball, there was not a defender within, um, you know, 10, 15 feet of him. So um, maybe a little bit of, a, of an adjustment there and maybe something they could have done earlier in that game. How about the decision not to play I- I'm assuming Ayupati, who was, I believe, active, right, on Sunday, did not play. What does this mean going forward? Is Posick the guy that's going to come out? Um, what does this offensive line tend to look like in Pittsburgh next Sunday? Yeah, my, my read on Ayupati not playing was um, kind of the, maybe the same with Anson not playing. Just, you know, a guy had, had really had a long layover. He had actually had less practice time. Uh, than Anta had just because he missed all of the summer. Um, and, you know, I wonder if Joey Hunt did not have a sprained ankle, maybe Ayupati would have been inactive and Joey Hunt would have been there. But with Hunt out, um, you know, you maybe needed Ayupati just as, as that extra guy there. So um, he talked this week about, you know, being ready to play, and, and Pete Carroll said that it was going to be close. So I uh, wouldn't be surprised if he plays next week. Um, but, again, you never know, you know, with – Ethan Posick sounds like he has been. Uh, sounds like they've been pleased with the way he's played. So that's going to be an interesting decision to make, assuming Ayupati is ready to play. And he and Posick's the only guy that could come out. They couldn't shift things around. Uh, I'm assuming if Fetty's not coming out at right tackle, so they really the only. The only guy to come out would be Posick, right, for Ayupati? That would be the only one that would make sense because, okay. uh, you know, okay. left guard is really the only spot that Posick has been working at for the most part. I, you know, I know he came in sort of with the thought that uh, – came into the NFL with the thought that maybe he could be tackle. You know, he played all over at LSU, but we have not seen him much at tackle to think that he could, could play there all of a sudden. I think the, the, the part of the, the performance on Sunday for the Seahawks that did not surprise me in terms of the negative side – which really does, I think, concern me even more than the offensive line moving forward because I don't know how it changes, was that that Andy Dalton was able to throw for over 400 yards without A.J. Green. Now, it took him a lot of throws to do it, but there were, you know, there were wide receivers running free, intermediate routes, deep routes. Uh, I just wonder whether the Seahawks' secondary is going to be a secondary that gives up big chunks of passing yardages to opposing team's quarterback. They've got Ben Roethlisberger, who comes off of a loss in New England uh, next week on Sunday. Then they get Drew Brees the following week. Uh, is there a, Obviously, Ziggy's going to give them more of a pass rush. Maybe LJ Collier will too. But what about the secondary? What about the corners? What about the nickel? What about the safeties? Thompson on the last play of the first half. Is, is there any reason to believe that all of a sudden they're going to be playing much better football, Brady, in your estimation? Uh, I, yeah, it, it's really hard to say, um, you know, because, again, that was a team without maybe its best offensive player in A.J. Green. And, and, you know, the Bengals still racked up a ton of passing yards. I think a, a gross of 418 passing yards. Now, should say some of that at least in terms of the way Pete Carroll explained it afterwards was some of that was sort of game plan you know related where they felt like you know the best strategy was to really force them into a lot of underneath throws 
Um, and so that's maybe why you saw all those attempts. You saw a lot of, you know, screen passes, a lot of getting the ball out quickly. So um, it sounds like they were content with giving up some of that short to intermediary stuff and with the idea that they were, you know, really going to, uh, take the big play away. Of course, they didn't do that very well a couple times, uh, including that you know Tedrick Thompson play that he really misjudged. Um, I think he had. I think Tedrick played an okay game aside from that. Um, so I know, I know that's one play and that's one thing that in Pete Carroll's defense you really can't do. So uh, I'm going to be interested to see if maybe there's a move there uh, with Marquise Blair now that he has another week mm-hmm. uh, under his belt. And mm-hmm. you know you have to wonder if part of the the thinking there is just all the time that he missed. Uh, during the offseason with the hamstring and then with the back and the preseason. So um, that might be another decision they make there is, is do you put do you put Marquise Blair in at free safety? Uh, but again, aside from that one play, I don't think Tedrick Thompson was, was terrible. What do you think of Jadavion Clowney? What did Carroll and, uh, and, the, and the rest of the staff say after the game about Clowney's first performance, getting him in there and getting his feet wet? And so he made some real early, uh, early moves to get into the face of the quarterback and to get into the backfield. How do you think Clowney looked? He did, yeah. He spent, he spent a lot of time in the backfield. And if you just look at the stat sheet, you know, you see the one sack, the two tackles, the pass breakup, you think, okay, the guy made uh, a, a nice little impact in his first game. But I think that what he did went beyond the stat sheet because there was a lot of plays in there uh, where he just, you know, shot in there and, and really sort of wreaked havoc. You know, I think one of Quentin Jefferson's sacks came on a play where Ansa really collapsed the pocket and forced – uh, Dalton to really move into a spot where you know Quentin Jefferson was in pretty good position to bring him down. So um, you know he it sounds like he played quite a bit more than or at least a little more than than what they anticipated and he didn't start. Uh, you saw Rasheem Green and, and Jefferson were the starting DNs, but um, Clowney was in on that first third down and, and really you know I, yeah. I, I don't I'm interested to see the final snap total because yeah. uh, for a guy who just showed up last weekend he, he played quite a bit in his first Freudian game. slip you said that Ansa forced the quarterback out and Quentin Jefferson <laughs> made the play you meant Clowney, Clowney but that's a perfect segue I'm glad you messed that up because it brings us to Ansa and I was I was surprised when I saw your tweet on Sunday that he was inactive after all the practices and all of the Brady Henderson indexes and all of the encouraging words from the coaching staff all of a sudden Ansa's not playing and I just I, I, call me cynical, call me skeptical. I just wonder whether every once in a while a coaching staff says to each other in closed doors, they never admit it, we can win this game. We, we could steal another week for him because we're going to win this game with or without him. So we don't need him this week. Do you think there was any of that? If this were uh, a playoff game, if this were a game that was crucial, a one and done, that the, was in doubt that the Seahawks, going at least going into the game, think that they're going to win, would Ansa have played in that game on Sunday? Yeah, no, I, I think you're on the right track there. And, you know, the, 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 read, the sense I got all along and my read on it was that um, they were really going to be as, as cautious as they could possibly be with him. And, you know, they figured that it was going to be close in terms of is he ready week one, is he ready week two. Uh, figured it was going to be close for the opener, and, and they were going to err on the side of caution. Now, it, it seemed a lot more likely last week just with the way that they were talking about him. Uh, made him available to the media. You saw him practice. Even you know he was a limited participant, uh, and also the fact that he had two weeks of practice uh, as opposed to just one. And two is is you know really they they tend to like guys having you know coming off long absences to have at least two weeks of practice. Um, so it was I guess a little surprising that he was out. But but then again you know you think back to what Pete Carroll said Friday um, when they listed him as questionable that you know they just got to make sure on, on game day that he was ready to go. And again, this is, this is long-term thinking. And, and GM John Schneider on the pregame radio interview um, 
didn't you know said it wasn't any sort of setback. It was just sort of the, the plan all along uh, was to was to be careful with him, and he called this uh, a precautionary measure to hold him out for at least one more week. Do you think that we'll see him chasing Ben Roethlisberger? Do you think we'll see L.J. Collier chasing Ben Roethlisberger on Sunday? I, yeah, I do. I, well, at least for Ansa. Um, just because it, with it's as close as he sounds like he was to playing this week, I would think that another week would would put him over the top there. And uh, with Collier, it sounds like there's a good chance too. You know, Pete Carroll was pretty optimistic about that uh, on Friday, saying that you know he's he's got a pretty good chance just with how he's looked, you know, doing his running and conditioning on the side, uh, that he's got a pretty good chance to return to practice uh, this week. So you know, maybe that that could be. Now that I think about it, could be another case where you want a guy to get actual practice time under his belt before you throw him out there. Um, and kind of like you said with Ansa, uh, you know, if if Ansa is back and Clowney is back, and by the way, Quentin Jefferson's getting two sacks, Rasheem Green, you know, sealed off the win with the sack. Maybe there's a little less urgency uh, to bring Collier back. Who played well? I'm sure everybody was raving about DK Metcalf after the game for his four-catch, 89-yard performance and his baby pacifier mouthpiece, Brady. <laughs> yeah, well, he had a good one. Uh, and the guy I just mentioned, Quentin Jefferson, had a good game. And uh, that's got to be pretty encouraging for the Seahawks. And, you, you know, you're not going to expect Quentin Jefferson to get two sacks every game. Uh, but it's a good sign when, you know, the guys that maybe you thought of as complimentary pass rushers um, guys that you know you were hoping to get maybe five, six, seven sacks out of uh, that those guys played the way they did. I'm talking about you know Jefferson and uh, Rasheem Green, and you know really they lost two of those guys in terms of, of depth pass rushers and Cassius Marsh uh, when they cut him over the weekend and Jacob Martin when they traded him, uh, and maybe you could throw Mingo into that mix uh, as well, even though he hadn't really shown a ton of pass rush. But um, you know that that pass rush, even though they did add Clowney, the, the depth there. Uh, did take some hits, and so it's got to be encouraging for them to see Quentin Jefferson and Rasheem Green uh, do what they did on Sunday. Do you know anything about Will Disley's injury? There, no, there really was not uh, any sort of definitive word from Pete Carroll. All we know is that um, you know Carroll said he got hit on his knee, and it was uh, his right knee with the same knee that he hurt last year. Um, so that that you know sort of is a little scary sounding when you just hear hear about the same knee and how severe of an injury that was. Uh, but, you know, I, one other reporter saw him. I didn't see this, but one other reporter saw him walking around okay. uh, in the locker room afterwards. Yeah, so take that for yeah. what it's worth. We'll, we'll, we'll know more. But, um, but uh, yeah, he at, least, he at least was walking around. Any other game. injuries? Puna Ford uh, left the game. I, the, the actual nature of the injuries is escaping me. It's, it was either a calf or a hamstring. Okay. Uh, and then Nico Thorpe as well. So uh, really was no word on the severity of, of any of those injuries, but okay. um, neither of them were able to finish the game. So um, that, I guess, does tell you something. All right. You ever see Tyler Lockett drop a ball like that? I cannot remember. No, no. And, you know, for a guy who had the perfect passer rating with Russell Wilson uh, and was one of the more efficient receivers last season, uh, just in terms of, of, you know, number of targets that ended up in catches that's yeah was not something that uh, we have seen a ton of my final question is is going to catch you off guard it's going to be a curveball and i'm sure that you don't have in, no no inside information or no idea but i'll ask you to speculate a little bit because okay. it's because it's interesting antonio brown was released on saturday it set off a firestorm of social media not just for seahawk fans but for fans around the nfl before of course bill belichick uh, stepped in and ended all that um do you believe that John Schneider and Pete Carroll seriously kicked the tires uh, around, maybe even got on the phone with Drew Rosenhaus uh, to try to explore the idea of adding Antonio Brown to this wide receiver core, which, you know, 
has a lot of interesting names and talents on it, but still a lot of inexperience uh, across the board. Do you think that they looked at that at all? Yeah, I, I would guess, I would assume that they at least had a conversation, at least among themselves, just because that's sort of their MO, right, in their front office. John Schneider always says, you know, we want to be in every single deal, so they want to kick the tires on everything. Um, I cannot imagine them doing that, uh, just um, at least making that happen at the price that it, that it took to make it happen, um, just because, you know, this, I think, is a team that has enjoyed, you know, really its first drama-free season or drama-free offseason um, in a while. So did they consider it? I'm guessing so, but I, I would imagine that they would have had a hard time pulling that trigger knowing, um, you know, how south things went and how quickly they went south uh, with Percy Harvin. Not to say that those two are the same, but you're, you know, talking about two mercurial receivers yeah. uh, and the impact that an unhappy guy like that can have. So and what was, um, and if what, it was available to them, I, I don't know if they would pull the trigger. And Brady, what was the impact that a negative guy like that could have in Percy Harvin? What, what was the end result in that? Well, the end result was that they ended up dumping him a season and a half after giving him the biggest contract in franchise history, which tells you how bad it got to, but, to have to really give him up for nothing. What kind of what kind of did they have success the year that he played here? That he was the cancer and disruptive? Uh, no, I would not say that. But I think part of that was he was also away from the team for <laughs> for quite a while All while right. he was getting treatment, so All he right. didn't have an opportunity to. <laughs> okay, I thought he beat somebody up. I thought there were some fights and everything else, and they still won the suit. I I don't know. What do I know? I I, I just I I I would have liked to have seen them. At least, uh, you know, throw. I, I was surprised that he got the 15 million that he got in New England. Uh, I didn't think that the price would be that big. So maybe, maybe that's what scared. Um, maybe that's what scared the Seahawks away. I thought it would be a, a smaller price for a guy who had such problems in Oakland. Anyway, the Seahawks are one and zero. Beat the Bengals by a point. Survived Game One. Off to Pittsburgh, where they'll find a very, very feisty and angry Steelers team in their home debut after the Steelers just got absolutely handled on the uh, Sunday night game in Foxborough. Brady Henderson brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions, joining us and talking Seahawks football. Thank you, Brady. All right, you bet, Mitch. Talk to you next week. There he is, Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, and Mitch Unfiltered, Seahawks insider. Excited to have him all season long after Seahawks games right here on Mitch Unfiltered. One of those rare Daniel special events that's open to the public. Bourbon lovers take note, the Bourbon Heritage Dinner taking place on Saturday, September the 14th, this Saturday at the new downtown Daniels location at 6 p.m. It's a must attend for bourbon lovers. You've got Bullet 10, you've got Bullet Barrel Strength, Blade and Bow and Dickel Barrel Select Bourbons. Your four-course gourmet dinner from Daniel's includes roasted New York strip steak as an entree, bourbon barbecued pulled pork sliders, and chimichurri grilled shrimp as appetizers with maple bourbon wild green salad and bourbon caramel butter cake for dessert. How about that? A world-class bourbon lover's dream. Tickets for this event are $125 plus tax and service, and you can make your reservation for the Bourbon Heritage Dinner by clicking on events at danielsbroiler.com. It's this Saturday, September the 14th, the Bourbon Heritage Dinner at Daniel's Broiler, a world-class bourbon event. Unfiltered. Let's talk a little college football. It was not a great, it was not a great weekend here in the Pacific Northwest, at least for the the local Seattle team. Joining us somewhere 
on the East Coast, and it's brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Remember, football season is fireplace season at Fireside Home Solutions, firesidehomesolutions.com. Here's our buddy Rick Neuheisel, and I'm assuming that the game ending at about 4.30 in the morning East Coast time, (laughs) even the former University of Washington head coach, uh, was not able to stay up into the wee hours of the morning to see what was a very painful result for college football fans here in the Northwest. I'm going to be honest and tell you I didn't make it to the game's <laughs> conclusion. I tried to hang in there. I uh, I watched the replay of the Nebraska-Colorado Colorado game on FS1. Yeah. I knew that outcome, having watched that earlier in the day. I did not make it to the finish, but it's uh, not unlike the finish we saw a year ago. I mean, leave it to Justin Wilcox to have the answer for the Husky offense 12 to 10 victors a year ago and 20 to 19 last evening it uh, you got to give credit where credit is due I guess I should ask you and this is going to sound like a cop-out I didn't go to Washington I, I root for Washington I'm not the biggest tie fan tie member fan or what have you uh, but but it was a weird night obviously uh, you've probably yeah. been involved with nights that uh, had delays in some reason, want some shape, form. Um, I, I don't know. What does that do to the outcome of the game? It just seems like to me that the team that suffers the most in a game like that where it's two and a half hours delayed, you lose all your fans, it just becomes a bizarre night. It almost feels like the tendency would, it would be it would even out the teams in a game like that. Is that a fair statement or is that unfair? I think you've hit the nail on the head, Mitch. Listen, when you go, if you're a Pac-12 team and you're going to Husky Stadium, you spend the whole week talking about how we can't let the noise get to us. You practice with loud noise at practice. You practice uh, hand signals so that you can communicate, knowing that noise is going to be an issue. You know, the Husky fans are regarded as the best in the Pac-12. That's just uh, a fact. And when you come out after a delay, sitting in the locker room for however long they sat, and there's no one there, you feel like you've uh, been given the gift of all gifts as the opposing coach. Uh, I know Justin Wilcox, who coached there for the Huskies. He knows all about what those fans can do and how involved in a game they can be. I know he had to be counting his lucky stars uh, to see that uh, Husky Stadium was as empty as it was when they played that second half. So uh, a few weeks ago, you were on Mitch Unfiltered, and you picked Washington to be in your college football playoff. Do you remember that? I totally do, and I'm not (laughs) wavering. I'm not wavering. I, I still believe them to be a a team that can uh, get to the finish line. I don't like how it started. I thought uh, we were off and running when Jacob Eason looked so good in week one. Uh, I want him to be more consistent. And I think Chris Peterson wants that entire offense to be consistent. You know, if you go back and look at some of the troubles, whether it was the Auburn game or the Cal game last year, it's red zone offense. They have to be able to finish the deal. There was a fourth and one opportunity last night where they, they squandered their chance with the illegal procedure call, which prompted a field goal rather than a chance at a touchdown. Those are the kind of things the championship caliber teams can't do. It's early in the season. We'll give them a pass, but that's got to get corrected and get corrected fast. Are you familiar at all? And if you're not, it's okay. Are you familiar with the clock management, the story about the clock management at the end of the game? Or did you not read with anything the, about that? all the different timeouts being used well, by uh, Washington was, at the end? Well, there was 35 seconds to go, 
and the uh, Cal Bears had the ball at the five or six yard line. They ran the ball. It, it was it appeared it might be a touchdown, and then it was determined that it was down at the one. And he did not use a timeout right at the end. I would have been using the, my final timeout. He could have had Absolutely. a timeout at 29 seconds. And at yes. 29 seconds in college, instead of it going down to 20, he uses the timeout there. They kick the field goal. It goes from 29 to 25. They kick off with 25. And all of a sudden, maybe you have a play, a play that you could throw the ball down the field, maybe get out of bounds, maybe get a first down, stops the clock. I don't know. It, it, it's funny because Chris Peterson is a terrific coach. I mean, there's nobody who would doubt, nobody across America who would not right. put, put Chris Peterson in are on their short list of greatest coaches in America. And yet, this is like the fourth or fifth or sixth, fourth or fifth time, let's say. It's funny, his Achilles, it seems like, and he doesn't admit to this, of course, and who am I to say? I'm just the guy in front of the microphone. But there have been some instances of some weird, weird decisions with clock management down the stretch. And people have asked, do these high-caliber coaches have – assistants or people on their staff that are upstairs or that are downstairs helping them? How does that work in the college game, Rick? It depends on if coaches are willing to realize that they're not great at math. Uh, You know, and and listen, as you just said, Chris Peterson is one of the top five coaches in college football. But I remember sitting in the chair in the studios in the Pac-12 studios there in San Francisco when he absolutely handed off against the University of Arizona when he didn't need to. He could have taken a knee and easily walked out of uh, uh, Tucson with a victory. And instead, they fumbled and lost the game to Rich Rodriguez's team. And he fought tooth and nail that the sheet said you had to hand it off and I said then get a different sheet <laughs> because that, that, that was inaccurate uh-huh. and and um, it, it, listen he's coaching and I'm in New York uh, uh, doing t- TV stuff so I, I'm going to give credit where credit's due as I just said a little bit ago but there are some times where it's it's okay to ask for a little help clearly last night with that situation you have to take the time out you have to preserve every second that you possibly can uh there would have been a part of me even thinking about letting them have it even even though i have the lead so that i have more time to go down and and make a play because uh you just want that chance to to have some hope alive that's my next question we've talked to mike holmgren he had a a famous or an infamous incident in the super bowl that he lost right where where he could have or, or where he, where he let the, maybe let the guy go in. I think it was Terrell Davis. How about that as a coach and as a player? It just seems unnatural to tell you. Have you ever told your team, I want you to let them score? I was thinking that what Cal would do was not try to score. They would just, you know, down the ball, get on one knee, take as much time off the clock, and then kick the field goal. What about that whole idea of telling your guys to allow a team to score a touchdown, which is against everything in the fabric of a football player? 100% uh, accurate there. It goes against the, the grain of what you teach and what you believe, right? But in the in trying to play percentages, and you know, so much of our world right now is analytics, especially in athletics, uh, the percentages would tell you that's the play. Go ahead, let them in, and let's go back the other way and find a way to score, uh, believing that we have the equipment to do that. Uh, 
you know, it's a hard thing to do. You know you're going to get second-guessed, and sometimes, unfortunately, head coaches make decisions based on not being second-guessed. They can defend a position, right? I recall a time I was the head coach at Washington, and uh, we were playing in a wild game against the University of Texas in the Holiday Bowl. Mm -hmm. And uh, Major Applewhite was on fire in the fourth quarter, having his way with us with Roy Williams and company. And uh, we scored on a clock drive. Willie Hurst, I actually told uh, Keith Gilbertson to run the ball so that we could save some clock and score late, right? <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, Willie Hurst on second down and one ran it in from 39 yards out, and we took the lead, had a field goal lead, and uh, I wanted – I had – John Anderson was my kicker. I had a little popover kick. You remember uh, yeah, Nick Saban's popover yeah, in the yeah, National yeah, Championship? Yeah, kick? yeah. I had that same weapon. And we had a lead, and I was saying, I'm going to do it. And as a matter of fact, I went over to John. I said, John, can you hit this? He goes, I'll get it. No problem. I said, all right, we're doing it. And Randy Hart came over and talked me out of it, uh, my defensive line coach, because he said, Coach, we can stop him. You know, that's what a defensive line coach is supposed to tell you, yeah. that we can stop him. But it's my job as the head coach to know what I'm watching, what I see. I'll take that with me to my grave. I should have played the popover, and I, I applauded Nick Saban that he had the guts to do it in the national championship game. He also had a few more zeros on his contract that uh, <laughs> bears mentioning. But uh, the bottom line is you got to have, as the head coach, the guts to make those tough decisions in those uh, in those pivotal moments in uh, in games. So you're a popover away from being on a sideline right now instead of being in New York with a guitar? Is that is that I'm what I'm hearing? I'm a popover away. <laughs> I, I, literally, that game was winnable. They would never have expected it. I think John Anderson, given all the big kicks that he made during his time at uh, Washington, would have would have come through in the clutch. Okay. And it was there to be done. Uh, I, and, and I'm not mad at Randy. Randy was doing what defensive coaches should do. I just should have said, I, I, you know what? We can't stop him. We're going to win this way. And uh, I regret it to this day. How impactful, I have not asked you this, the, the Oregon-Auburn game. You talked about how you're staying on Washington, and now, I mean, it's, it's just, to me, it feels inappropriate to ask if they run the table, would they be in the college football play? I mean, they got to play better football, and they got a long way to go but before we have that conversation. But uh, everybody made a lot to do uh, out of the Oregon-Auburn result, that it was going right. to impart put a reputation together for the Pac-12 and either say to the nation and the so-called experts and these guys who guys and ladies who decide who's going to be in those games, it's going to either give them a better taste in their mouth for Pac-12 football or not. Are you of that opinion? Do you think that the Oregon loss to Auburn really hurt the conference? Uh, for the time being, it, it didn't help. Uh, that's that's absolutely the case. A couple of things need to happen. One of them started to happen last week it, as Oregon hung 77 on a Nevada team that had just beaten Purdue. So Oregon looks like they're a legitimate team. We'll wait and see as the season continues to unfold. And then Bo Nix and Auburn keep improving, right? They've got a huge game coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, which will probably be on CBS against Auburn. Uh, uh, excuse me, against Texas A&M in College Station. Yeah. Auburn will travel there. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see more about that that football team. You know, if Auburn continues to play well, which my expectation is they will given their defense, uh, they held uh, Tulane, who had scored 42 in their opener, to six points this last week. Uh, I, I think uh, 
Oregon will be able to rebound from that loss, and will, and so too will the conference. I think it was a huge boon in there, a shot in the arm for the conference that SC looked so good, despite having lost their quarterback. They score 45 points with this really bright-looking uh, uh, freshman quarterback, Keaton Slovis. Uh, that that to me was a good shot in the arm. And and you know we just uh, and I say we because I feel as a homer to the to that portion of the country. Uh, we just got to keep playing good football. I think Utah's the legitimate deal. I think Washington will rebound. It's nice that Cal looks this kind of uh, uh, caliber of defense. Uh, you know, obviously UCLA right now is is in bad straits. Arizona State's playing well. We'll, we'll wait and see. I, I'm not giving up the, the ship on the Pac-12. So a one-loss Pac-12 team, depending upon what happens around the country, you still think will be very much, if that happens, if it's a one-loss Oregon or a one-loss Washington or one-loss Utah, somebody like that, th- they'll be in the conversation, right? Yes. The problem is, Mitch, if we need one of the other Power 5 conferences to be a two-loss champ. That's what's got to happen. Because I think a one-loss champ from the Pac-12, as compared to a one-loss, given the way Texas played last night, uh, given the way Ohio State's looked thus far, uh, I I think that will be problematic to go ahead of them uh, with one loss, given... what's taken place so far. Right. Our football interviews, including uh, Rick Neuheisel, brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions, the come to your home free of charge, evaluate your space, and then work with you to find a great fireplace solution, firesidehomesolutions.com. Before you go, Rick, um, based on what you've seen the first few weeks, uh, this past weekend we saw Clemson win a big game against Texas A&M. We saw a a pretty high-level game between LSU and Texas that LSU survived uh, out of the SEC. We're going to see some big football games. Michigan struggled with Army. Ohio State's played well the first few weeks with their their quarterback. Uh, What is it that's impressed you? I'll just throw the ball to you. Give us some pearls of wisdom over the first couple of weeks in terms of who you think are the best football teams. Well, uh, I think you know, Alabama and Clemson have held chalk, right? We expected that. They've been that kind of team. Uh, I thought Clemson uh, and Brent Venables in particular, their defensive coordinator, was, was really, really good this last week against Jimbo Fisher's offense there at Texas A&M. Um, I think Ohio State looks fantastic athletically. Uh, just J.K. Dobbins, their running back, who was splitting time with Mike Weber a year ago, I think is really, really good and a great compliment to Justin Fields. They got seemingly all the weapons. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they get derailed. Uh, I, I think that uh, there are some really good teams in the SEC West. This LSU and Joe Burrow, uh, I, I think, are really good. Joe Burrow right now, and, and sit down while I tell you this, <laughs> Joe Burrow's completing over 80% of his passes. Wow. As an LSU quarterback. <laughs> That, that that defies logic. Uh, Joe Brady and what he's brought from the New Orleans Saints to that offense, and Steve Ensminger, the offensive coordinator, is off the charts, and Joe Burrow's playing lights out right now. I thought that was a great college football game with Ellinger and Burrow just trading blows. They, they were fantastic. But, uh, and the, the, but the team that I got my eye on that I think can really make some hay this year is Oklahoma. You know, Jalen Hurts yeah. is off. To, he's another 80% passer right now. He looks the part. He ran for 170 in the first week uh, against Houston. He's, you know, 
just a dynamic leader. He was 26-2. and two. We know that story from Tuscaloosa. But you also add Alex Grinch to the equation there. Alex Grinch, uh, people in the Pacific Northwest will remember, he was the defensive coordinator there with Mike Leach that kind of changed the fortunes of the Cougar program where they could play uh, you know, adequately on both sides of the ball, not just pass happy on the offensive side. He now is at Oklahoma. I think there's some tenacity there. They've got to play discipline, but if they'll do that, I think Oklahoma has a chance not only to get out of the Big 12, but actually win a playoff game. Who will play in the SEC championship game? You like LSU, but you know how do you like LSU in its division? LSU's got a play. I'm looking at their schedule as we speak. They got Florida at home. They actually got most of the tough games that they have left, Texas A&M at home. Uh, the Auburn-LSU game, I believe, is in Baton Rouge. They do go on the road to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama. Uh, who, who would who would you say as of now looks to be in the SEC championship game? I think it's Alabama and Georgia. Now, uh, LSU fans can't wait for that game against Alabama, but it's in Tuscaloosa. And this time it's a day game. It, for years it's been a oh, night game, but wow. it's a day game because the CBS chose to put uh, the Notre Dame-Georgia game on in the evening and make that the doubleheader day. So uh, this will be a afternoon game, and uh, LSU will play great. Burroughs fantastic, but I'm not sure they have enough of a running game, and I just can't believe they can win that uh, with a one-dimensional offense against the Crimson Tide. So I'm going to say it's going to be Alabama and Georgia again and another great SEC championship game in Atlanta. And you're in the studio this week on CBS. I am in the studio as Ryan Holinsky. The younger brother oh, yeah. of the fallen quarterback yeah. from uh, Washington State, the kid who took his own life, yeah. Tyler Holinsky. His little brother is started last week uh, against, I think, Charleston Southern. Hit his first 12 passes. The Holinsky family had moved to South Carolina, obviously, you know, bereft with all those memories. They're out there, and, and, and here come the Crimson Tide. So keep your fingers crossed for young Ryan Holinsky. Oh, gosh. What a, what a tragic story. Thank you very much yeah. for being back with us. We'll be watching you on CBS. Then you'll be out doing football games the following week. We'll catch up to date on you on the schedule. But thanks for being on the program. We appreciate it very much. Always fun, and I apologize for not staying up last night. It will <laughs> never happen again, Coach. Don't, don't, don't cut me. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. See you now. There he is, Rick Neuheisel, on that really difficult evening at Husky Stadium. Late, late night, Saturday night, early Sunday morning. The Huskies fall to California, can't get off the field on that final drive defensively, dropping a lot of passes and very weird clock management at the end that you heard Neuheisel talk about. Evervestment, powered by Evergreen Golf Call, is a digital investing platform that combines the ease of a robo-advisor with decades of proven investment experience. For months, I've been talking about Evergreen Golf Call, this Northwest kind of institution, investment advisor offering premier wealth management services. But what they're excited to launch is this brand new system called Evervestment. It's a new digital investment platform. Evergreen Golf Call has catered its investment expertise solely to high net worth individuals before. But now, using this online solution, you don't need to be a multimillionaire to get access to some of the great strategies that they use for their clients, all at a discounted fee. The same investment guidance as Evergreen's high net worth clients at a lower fee. Evervestment combines the ease of a digital account onboarding with the benefits of an actively managed portfolio with decades of investment experience to back it. So whether you're saving for your first vacation home or your first day of retirement, 
Evervestment can help you get there. All you have to do is check them out at their website, evervestment.com. That's E-V-E-R, vestment, evervestment.com. It'll guide you through the process to start investing for your future today. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Football wasn't the only thing that was happening over the weekend. Joining us on the uh, on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is Dan Walken of the USA Today. You can follow him on the Twitter at Dan Walken. What a final! What a men's final! You thought it was going to be a quick one, didn't you, Dan? When uh, when Nadal was up two sets and a break in the third. Yeah, that's typically the way it goes. Nadal has always had that killer instinct. He's always found a way when he gets an opponent. Uh, up against the ropes to finish the job pretty quickly and this time it didn't work out that way and it was what made for such a compelling theater down the stretch is could Rafa Nadal possibly the best you know closer that we've ever seen because of just his unbelievable competitive instincts actually blow a two set to love lead and that, that really made it a match that uh, went from you know, kind of just being another ho-hum Grand Slam final to, to maybe one of the greats we've seen in a long time. Five hours later, he wins his 19th Grand Slam. How would you explain to somebody like me who watched football all day and then saw the last, I don't know, hour and a, hour and a half of the match, What was the why was the crowd turning against him? It seemed like, obviously, they were prone to Dahl early, and then it was more mixed towards the end. What happened, Dan? Well, I think the crowds in New York are always rooting for somebody to come from behind to extend the match. Everybody likes the idea of being there to see a classic, and so they kind of like it to go on and on. But also, you know, the crowd noise in a place like Arthur Ashe Stadium where you've got 25,000 people, biggest tennis stadium in the world, is something that is hard to uh, stop. Just too many people, too much commotion. It's just a loud venue for tennis. And Nadal, who's always kind of edgy anyway, and he's got a lot of nervous ticks out there on the court, he was letting the crowd get to him a little bit. It, you know, it, he was slowing things down to let people be quiet. Whereas Medvedev was ready to play, and you know, people were talking or hissing or whistling, and he just hit the ball. And Nadal was sort of slowing him down a little bit to let people settle. And I think the crowd was kind of uh, not real impressed by that. I think they were kind of appreciative of the fact Medvedev was just playing through it. Yeah, and on top of it all, Medvedev looked like he was done in the third set and was able to turn it around. I saw a stat on ESPN when they were broadcasting the match, Dan, that in in Grand Slam events, uh, Rafael Nadal had only lost one match in his life one match in his life where he won the two the first two sets. This was almost the second. But he wins the 19th Grand Slam. He does so without having to beat either Djokovic or Federer. Um, how, do we, how do you view Dan Walken of the USA Today? How do you view Nadal's career versus Federer it, as just a, a kind of a, an interested bystander, I'll call myself? It seems like Federer is thought of on a higher plane 
than Nadal, and yet they are within one of each other in Grand Slam championships. And Nadal is five years younger, is going to catch Federer, you would think. Why is it that that I feel like Federer is on a loftier spot than Nadal career-wise? Well, I think there's a couple things in play. One, uh, you know, if you look at the 19 Grand Slams that Rafa has won, which is amazing, 12 of them have come at the French Open, right. which is on play. And uh, look, people view the surfaces differently. You've got two majors that are on hard courts. One is on grass at Wimbledon, and the French Open is on clay. And Rafa Nadal is the greatest clay court player ever by you know fairly significant margin and so racking up 12 at one grand slam uh you know is it does it maybe lessen that in some people's eyes just because he's been so dominant at the one tournament i think maybe a little bit whereas you know he hasn't had the same kind of numbers at other places but he has now won four at the u.s open which is significant he's won one australian and uh and he's won uh a couple wimbledon's so he's he's proven himself as an all all court player, uh, but you know Federer also sort of carries a little bit, I think, extra respect because of of not just the way he is an ambassador for everything about the game, but he also plays it with the kind of elegance that that yeah. people yeah. are drawn to. You know, Nadal is an unbelievable fighter. Uh, he's incredible. Uh, at the the spin game, the high kick, the the brute force baseline game, and Federer, you know, is is a little bit more of a classical player. Uh, so I think that's kind of probably where you see the difference. Before I get to the women and ask you about your time at the U.S. Open and just the stories of U.S. Open, I want you to look into your crystal ball. One guy's got twenty. One guy's nineteen. I think one guy is like 38 and the other guy's 33. I may be wrong on that. I'm doing that based on memory. When it's all said and done, give me a number on both Grand Slam victories. I don't know. You know, Federer might well well be done, and that's why I think losing Wimbledon, having double match point really will sting for him. I think, you know, it's possible he's stuck on 20. He's he's not going to do this forever. 38 years old, your body changes and – is is harder and harder to maintain at that level of every single year. He's done an incredible job lasting this long. And and honestly, same thing with Nadal, who has had throughout his career awful injuries and, and creaky knees. And there was a time, you know, maybe eight or nine years ago, you wondered if his knees were, were going to hold up at all. Uh, it has, and I think a lot of what he's done is, is kind of a bonus at this point. So, you know, certainly Nadal could have a couple more in him. I think Federer, you know, may have one more if he you know, gets the right setup at, at Wimbledon or maybe the Australian Open, but it's, it's going to be difficult. And uh, Novak Djokovic is down there with 16, and he's far from done too. So long way to go. Talk about being stuck, Dan Wolk, into the USA Today. Nice enough to be with us on Mitch Unfiltered in the wake of the U.S. Open. It wasn't all just football this weekend. Is Serena stuck, Dan? Uh, 23. She had 33 unforced errors in the championship game. She only converted on 44% of her first serves. I think in her last four major finals, she's lost to four different players. It almost seems like she's to the point in her career that she does not play good tennis, that the that the weeks, the two weeks of the majors take so much out of her to get to the final that she's not able to get over the hump in the championship match. Uh, have we seen... Uh, her get to the top and not be able to get that next one. I guess it's Margaret Court at 24. Well, again, same thing as with her as Federer. It gets it gets really really hard when you get to be her age and 
the body, uh, you have more injuries, you have more just, just bad days. And I think that's uh, Serena. It's a hard level to maintain for two weeks of a grand slam, seven matches. Uh, she was fitter in this U S open, I think, than she'd been in some of the others. And I think that's a, a really good sign for her, but it, it's going to be hard to finish the job. There's no doubt about it. And you've got players coming around every single year, like uh, you know, Bianca Andreescu, who won this U.S. Open, who are, are fearless and, and willing to, to take her on. And, and, you know, I think Serena has, has had opportunities that uh, uh, she, she may regret if, she, if she's stuck on 23. Dan, let's finish with what I thought was the highlight of the U.S. Open and something that I won't soon forget. Maybe it's my old age and I've become soft and sensitive and emotional but after what happened in the championship match with Naomi Osaka a year ago and Serena Williams, that scene that I've watched over and over and over again, I know that millions and millions of people of around the world have watched with her at the end of the match with Coco Goff and the way she handled herself and what she did in that moment showed me some of the greatest sportsmanship, some of the greatest humility that I've ever seen in sports. Tell me about your thoughts on what happened that night and if there's anything else that I'm missing missing from the U.S. Open over the two weeks. Yeah, I mean, it was a touching moment, and I think what it shows, and, I, and Naomi Osaka, frankly, has, has struggled this year uh, after she won the Australian Open and, and didn't play great tennis, and I think, I think she understands as much as anyone what it's like to become an instant star overnight, and maybe, you know, you, you, things happen in your life that you don't completely expect, and some of it good, some of it really bad. And I think she was trying to just be helpful to, to Coco to let her know, hey, listen, things are going to be happening here. And, and um, you know, no matter, even if you lost, uh, you, you, you know, people are going to be here to support you, including your fellow players. Anything else from the two weeks that moved you that you'd like to mention before you go? No, I mean, I, I just think it, it, it's nice to get some fresh faces and, and Bianca Andreescu and, uh, Daniil Medvedev, you know, kind yeah. of emerging as, as stars of, of, of the, the, the sport, you know, kind of here uh, is really refreshing. Dan Walken of the USA Today, always enjoy your work. And I'll be reading uh, this week your coverage of the U.S. Open, which is now uh, in the books as, a, as the Grand Slam season in the world of tennis. Dan, thanks for being back on Mitch Unfiltered. Appreciate it very much. All right. Thank you. Dan Walken of the USA Today. Follow him on Twitter at Dan Walken, D-A-N-W-O-L-K-E-N. A five-set thriller while everybody was watching the NFL. Rafael Nadal took a two-sets-to-love lead. and looked like they were make, he was going to make quick work of Medvedev. And then all of a sudden, he was in a five-hour, five-set thriller. And Serena Williams falls in the championship match on the ladies' side, failing to get to Margaret Court. I'm thrilled to have a new partner for the football season. You've heard me talk about him over and over again during our football interviews. Fireside Home Solutions. Who, raise your hand, who in our audience would love a brand new fireplace or would like to exchange one of your crappy fireplaces for a brand new one? They've got six showrooms from Seattle down to Portland. They make it possible for us to connect with the new Heisels and the Kings and the Hendersons of the world. But now we got football season, so we've got fireplace season. And I'm telling you, you ought to ask Fireside Home Solutions to come to your home, a free in-home appraisal, and let them work on a solution to spruce up your living room, your family room, with a brand new fireplace. Then you take a stroll into one of their showrooms. 
I couldn't believe the assortment when I was at the Bellevue location about two weeks ago. Old fireplaces waste a ton of energy, and Fireside Home Solutions really simplifies the process. They also do barbecue setups and garage doors. They're terrific. FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Fireside Home Solutions. Unfiltered. All right, episode 56, some interviews there. You got the uh, the behind-the-scenes scoop from ESPN, ESPN.com, Seahawks insider Brady Henderson. The Seahawks are 1-0. Unfortunately, the dogs fall to 1-1, and and Hotshot has now pronounced them dead for the college football playoffs. Yes, they are. We haven't even gotten to September, like, 15th yet, and they're out, they're out of it. Not only are they mathematically they're out of it. They're not mathematically out of it. They're clearly not good enough to even be in it. Well, that's another story. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's another story. But they're certainly not mathematically eliminated. Teams with one loss get in. Although Pac-12 teams don't uh, don't get a lot no. of don't have a really good reputation. And so the good news will be Jacob Eason will leave after this year. We'll have to have a whole new quarterback next year. We won't even get him to stick around to see if he well, can. Well, I haven't get se- I haven't seen anything from him that suggests he's leaving. I mean, he was great that first game against Eastern. Well, so was I. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. Let's let's see. I mean, if he if he's just gonna if he's gonna have a I mean, he didn't have a bad night the other night. I think his receivers really dropped the ball on him. It'd be interesting to see what his stats would be if everyone caught every. Well, pass. he was like eighteen. I think he was like eighteen to thirty-one or something like that. He probably would have been closer to twenty-two, twenty-three of thirty-one, something like yeah. that, uh, in a losing. Co- I don't know. He's gonna have to be a lot better than he was on Saturday night to be an NFL draft choice. Otherwise, you'll see Jacob Eason next year again for the University of Washington. All right, what do you have on your list? Do you have any before we finish anything? I, I, got, a little, I got a little laundry list here. What do you got? Did you see the watch that Odell yes. Beckham Jr. was wearing? It was wearing? on my list. Yes. I read on Twitter that it, it could be a quarter of a million dollar watch. Maybe. More. Is that right? 350000 retail. Oh. While he's playing football, he's playing it in a yeah in a game. He's, he's wearing, wearing a McLaren. Thing. I think it was a McLaren something or other. Like in, in the car, as in the car. I, th- I think maybe. Oh, interesting. Three hundred and fifty thousand dollar watch that he wore while playing an NFL game, which brings up the question: We haven't really talked about Antonio Brown. Uh, at what point did wide receivers just become like this? Is it is it impossible for a wide receiver just to be a normal guy? Why? What is it about the position? What get into the psychology? I want to lay down. You you analyze. What? Why is it that wide receivers are like this? Maybe they're typically the fastest person on the team, so they'll start with that. They can beat anybody in a race. I'm the best athlete out here. I'm just guessing. I mean, how many receivers can you name that were just difficult for whatever reason? A lot, right? Yeah, just endless. What happened that they just became weirdos? All of them. Which is funny because. I was thinking about when I was a kid, I would wait outside for autographs for at Seahawks games at the yeah. Kingdom. Yeah. And I'll never forget. It kind of bummed me out seeing Steve Largen pull up and his wife dropping him off in their minivan. <laughs> <laughs> you're the best receiver in the NFL and you're in a van again. Like, what the hell? We've come a long way since Largen getting out so of the So he was really minivan. normal. I mean, he was he was yeah. like, but, 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 but they weren't, maybe they weren't strange back then. I mean, before Jerry back Rice, then, he was it was the best it was it, it was the quarterbacks. It was the Joe Namaths were weird. Yeah, and right. Some of the quarterbacks were a little bit bizarre. Yeah, it's interesting. But I don't know when that started. The, something happened somewhere along the way where wide receivers, like it was like part and parcel of who you were as a wide receiver. When you became a wide receiver, you became strange. <laughs> Antonio Brown, strange. I mean, I could, I'm not going to list them off. I mean, they're all strange. Yeah. Terrell Owen. I mean, they're all Randy weird. Moss. Randy Moss. Deshaun Jackson. And I want to know what it, what is it. 
May, are you you think it's about speed? I don't know. Just because they're fast, they're like they, the they're best strange. athlete out if there. They're, they're, if they're fast, they're strange. <laughs> I don't know what the correlation is, but if you think you're the fastest, best athlete on the field, no matter where you are, maybe there's something. T- I don't know. I have nothing else. Keyshawn Johnson. Oh, I forgot about him. Tyreek Hill. <laughs> right. I mean, it just goes on and on. They're all weird. Are there any weird running backs? You can't really yeah, think of I'm any, Yeah, I'm sure right? that there are. Maybe it's just that we're making a mountain out of a molehill. But it sure seems like the way Antonio Brown's behaved the last month, month and a half. How about when you heard the story quickly about that on Saturday? Oh, my gosh, that was crazy. So you woke up to the news, or soon after you woke up, you heard that they released him. Yes. And then there was a firestorm on social media that I was in the middle of, of would you sign him? I saw that, Would you want him there? I chimed in. And I, I pretty much said... Despite all of the crazy antics, despite the fact that there's something seriously wrong with that guy, and I'm actually scared for him. I saw the Cliff Averill tweet, by the way, which was really great. You know, before we all, he, the, the guy might have mental problems. Let's let's worry about sure. his health, his CTE mental health. He could have kicked in. I mean, who, who, who knows? knows right? Who knows yeah. what's going on in the guy? But it was amazing how I would say three quarters of Seahawks Nation, at least on social media, were like, no, 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 no. He's a cancer. He's just another Percy Harvin. <laughs> which I think is very funny because Percy Harvin beat up teammates. He was weird. There's another one. Right. Exa- another one. He beat up teammates. I mean, didn't he beat up Golden Tate like before the Super Bowl or something? Wasn't I think there a they fight? got into it, yeah. There was like a fist fight. Didn't tell Golden Tate have a black eye during yeah. the Super Bowl? Yeah. He, he was weird. He was, he was standoffish. Nobody liked him. He was a cancer in the clubhouse. And oh, by the way, they, they won, won the Super Bowl. Bowl. <laughs> yeah. He so, runs a four two nine. It really, it was really <laughs> destructive. He was really destructive. They couldn't accomplish their team goals right. with with a cancer like that. Yeah. Now somebody would say, "Now hold on, he didn't play for like eight or ten weeks." Well, he was still around the team, and he was an even he was even a distraction when he was hurt. If you recall, he was refusing to go to team doctors. He went to New York. He disappeared. I don't know if oh, you remember yeah, that. He right. went to his own specialist. I yeah. mean, even when he was hurt and not playing, he was a distraction. He was a cancer. He was like, and yet. They won the Super Bowl. Super so Bowl. how bad really was it? And he was, if you remember, when it first started, he was like the saving grace of that that offense, like out of the gate. He, they would do the end around. Yeah, the, the, the fly sweep. Yeah, he, the, and then he returned the ball in the in the, in the Super Bowl to start for a the touchdown. second half. Yeah, yeah he I, was I, he's obvi- he was obviously very good and very talented, but yeah. he was a weird, weird dude. Still a weird dude. Wants to get back in. I think the XFL is going to sign him. Oh, wow. so just a, just a, just strange. A, just a strange, yeah. maybe even a bad dude. And yet, Pete Carroll. And this clubhouse was able to overcome that and have the greatest success of any Seahawks team in history with Percy Harvin. So, okay, is Antonio Brown per- – and on top of that, they were stuck with with Percy Harvin. You recall, they gave Minnesota three draft choices, including a first-rounder and I think a third-rounder, and then they gave him like $67 or $69 million, huge contract. They were committed to him. Yeah. If you would have brought Antonio Brown here Antonio Brown here with this wide receiving core, you could have done what the Patriots did, which is guarantee him some money. It's a one-year deal. You can cut him. Not all the money is guaranteed. There would have been very little kind of downside, downside yeah. risk to There's bring no it. Risk, you yeah. could have done it in a way. Now, he did get more money than I thought he was going to get. He did get $15 million from the Patriots. But it's funny. No, 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 no. Not here in Seattle. We don't need that. He's a cancer. He's no good. Yeah. He's Percy Harvin. And yet, Bill Belichick, almost as if, and here's where I'm going with this, almost as if the deal was made before he was released. I have a feeling it was. I'm sure his agent was shopping Drew around. Drew Rosenhaus is the agent. Oh, well, there you go. 
Drew knew, I'm guessing, that this was not going to happen at Oakland. I need to find him a home. Do you think he had – I think he may yeah. have had a deal with the Patriots before he was released. Yeah. Have you seen the video of him reacting to the news that he was released? He's pretty fast in flip-flops. You, you would have <laughs> thought, like you know, he just lost $30 million guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. I'd be a little bit upset by that. But yeah. he's like racing around like he just won the lottery. Happiest guy ever. Almost as if he knew he already had a $15 million contract with the Patriots. But I, I just find it interesting – that no, 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 not here, not here. He's a cancer. But Bill Belichick, no problem. We'll take him in. I mean, Pete Carroll, if he tried that with Marshawn Lynch. I mean, Marshawn Lynch was pretty disgruntled. He had gotten into legal trouble. He's hit, standing around with his helmet off on the sidelines. Didn't he hit somebody in a car? Yeah, he was the, in trouble with kinds. the law. Yeah. He was like the third string tailback. Yeah. It, never scared, it didn't scare Pete Carroll. And it didn't scare him on Percy Harvin. Now, maybe it should have. He was beating up his teammates. Yeah. But it didn't scare him. I, I don't know. I, I'd like to know behind. I don't know that we'll ever know uh, if there was a real concerted effort to bring him here after he was released. I, Maybe it was already done in New England. I mean, they tried that with they brought Terrell Owens in, who was a little past his prime, but that didn't. I mean, there was a circus around Terrell Owens too. Yeah. And then I, remember the receiver Mike Williams. At, yeah, yeah, USC? yeah. USC. Yeah. Brought him We're in. We're all, too, all receivers. Are we back to receivers? Yeah, yeah, that oh my God. They're all problems. Yeah. I, I, what I said on Twitter and I stand by is, what was the risk? You bring him in, now, may, maybe he would not have signed a contract that I would have wanted to do, but you bring him in, if it doesn't work out, you cut him. You cut him. Now, he got $10 million guaranteed from the Patriots, so maybe you weren't Stings able to you, you, Maybe you weren't, weren't able to do that. But what I said on Twitter, and I stand by, is without him, they are, right now, they are a, they are not, a, I would not consider them a serious Super Bowl contender. I know that might hurt. Maybe people don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. Uh, even after you after watched them won. on Sunday, yeah. um, I would not consider them a serious Super Bowl contender. I would consider them a serious playoff contender, which is fine. Yeah. With Antonio Brown, maybe they transcend playoff contender and they become maybe not a Super Bowl contender, but a contender to go really to win the division and go really deep into the playoffs. I, I now now I know that there's a lot of people that are screaming at their podcast right now. I would say screaming at the radio, but I'm not on the radio. They're screaming at the podcast saying, No, 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 no. They're a Super Bowl contender right now. I, I can't I don't see it. But with Antonio Brown, that would be huge. That would have been huge. And the pictures of him and Russell Wilson, have you seen the pictures yeah, online of it, all the, that they're buddies and they yeah. were posing for photographs and they were on the beach together and they're kind of like, you know, Rocky Balboa and, and uh, Apollo, Apollo Creed yeah. on the beach <laughs> hugging. Anyway, uh, anything else on your list? Did you happen to see the head injury today that Eric Weddle got from No, the I did not. I did not. I, someone needs to explain how this happened. So he, he took a knee. And that would have been on Sunday, right? You're talking about Sunday? On Sunday, yes, yeah. when the NFL plays, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Christian McCaffrey tried to hurdle him, or hurdle. he did hurdle someone, and his knee yeah. caught Eric Weddle on the side of the helmet. Next thing you know, they take his helmet off, and blood's gushing down his face. Oh, no. Oh, I saw him being carted off, and there was a towel, and the right. guy was applying pressure. I didn't realize that was Eric Weddle. Yes, How I saw the highlight. How get cut in yeah. a helmet? I don't know. They're the cushiest they've ever put. I don't know. Somebody's running around with a knife out there. <laughs> Abdullah the Butcher from do wrestling have, do you have to go? Do you have to go through a metal detector before you play, or just the fans? <laughs> like the, the, the players would have to go? Where he's got the yeah, gun I don't know. I, I did see that. How does that happen? Someone but he's going to be film. okay, though. Just stitch him up. He'll be okay, Yeah, I think he'll be fine. Maybe his neck was a little sore. He did take a pretty hard knee but yeah how does that happen i don't know sharp knee i don't know i don't maybe he had something maybe a little bolt came out of his helmet or something there was something was sticking i don't know maybe antonio brown's right i have not he should take his old helmet (laughs) these things aren't working i have absolutely no idea i saw where uh kyler murray 
was terrible, 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 and then great in the fourth quarter. You see what he did in the fourth quarter in his first ever game? I saw his touchdown in the fourth quarter. 15 of 19 for 154 in the fourth quarter alone great. to bring his team back, and we had a tie. We, oh, already, we, already, we had a tie. We yeah. already have a tie between the Lions and the Cardinals. You see where Dak threw for 405 yards. Here, here's, my, here's my note. Guess who's alive in, into week two of the NFL Survivor? Of Mitch, of the first ever Mitch Unfiltered NFL Survivor. I'm still alive, I'm alive too. Because you haven't played yet. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I, I went ahead and I took the biggest favorite on the board, the ball, uh, the the not the Baltimore Ravens should have taken the Baltimore Ravens, yeah. the Philadelphia Eagles against the Redskins. The Philadelphia Eagles are at home. They're a ten and a half point favorite. I look up at like 15 minutes in, they're down 17. <laughs> of course, that's I'm like, how it oh goes. my god, that's sports. I gods. did it again. I'm out. I'm out, but they came back and won the game. So I'm safe into round two, into week two of the NFL Survivor. So what's the plan going forward, having seen the Dolphins give up 59 points? Oh, my God. I, 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 that's a college score. 59 in the NFL. They gave up 49 in the first half, 42 in the first half, Scott. Who's the first player that's going to be picked in the NFL draft next year that Miami's going to get? Tua or right. Justin Herbert or somebody like that. They're going to pass. They're one of the worst teams. I think they're one of the worst teams in the NFL history, and they may go 0-16. So the question is, how many in these survivor pools is, is everybody just going to pick the team that's playing the Dolphins every week? Hit the bell. That, that, that's my move next or, week. <laughs> or once they win like one game, they're going to go 1-15, and when they win that one game, everybody's going to lose the survivor. <laughs> right, that would be great. There'll be no survivors left in any pool around the world when they win their one game. At some point, they're going to get a win. There's they're- actually a report out. Uh, day, uh, Mike Florio reported on Sunday night that the Dolphins, several Dolphins players contacted their agents after the game asking <laughs> to be traded. Is that right? Yes. Already. That's the millennial And I have a thought it. about that. Go on. Well, how many teams want the Dolphins players? <laughs> you love to not cry. All, the, all these guys want to be traded. Right. Well, y- y- there's a reason you guys lost 59 of four. Yeah, all the guys it's on not, the field. It's not like there's teams lining up to have you guys. Right. All of them are like, no, it's not me. Get me God. traded. It's not me. Get me traded. And I'm watching other Dolphins, you know. I'm watching all the Dolphins on other games. Cameron Wake having a sack for a first day. I'm watching. I, I don't want to. Oh, my God. It's just so bad. I mean, I, it's just so I, bad. I don't need you to do two hours on the history of the Dolphins, no. but it's what is that? The, is that the longest non-playoff streak in football? All I know is that I feel What's like we're paying tax. This is the Dan Marino tax that we had such great times oh, right, for 15 yeah. years that somehow we have to live 30 years after. I mean, it's like it's it's 20 it years. It wasn't that great. I mean, it was good, but it wasn't 20 years of Marino. No, I mean, you well, they to... didn't win any Super Bowls. <laughs> right. So what are you paying for? <laughs> I just feel like we're paying. Oh, my God. It never ends. And they are so bad. And I don't know what they're doing. They're they're knocking the they're knocking the thing down and starting to build up, but they're trading pieces that they need, which I don't I don't understand. They traded their young left tackle like, OK, I understand trading just about everything away and cutting people yeah, and getting right. a, and getting a position for draft choices. But there are there are certain things that you keep. Like if you have a young that, left tackle, that Laramie, Laramie Tunsil, yeah, yeah, yeah. why would you trade a, a great left tackle? What did they get? Because they feel like they're that far away. <laughs> they're ten years away that he'll be like fifty when they when they when they're good. Right. I, I don't I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand. But we don't know. Nobody cares. Nick Foles broke his clavicle. He's out for probably for the year. Yeah, rough. First game after the new contract with Jacksonville. Tyreek Hill got hurt. Cloud. Okay, I, I, I'll end with this since we're 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 finishing up the show. Why is it that I got great satisfaction out of the fact that the Browns got 
their their lunch handed to them on the first game. That's uh, that's such a great observation because I heard all off season about the Browns are back. They're back. They're going to go fourteen oh, and my two. God. Here we go. Same old Browns, right? I mean, God, I couldn't believe it. I, I was. I don't know why I was so. Ha- I, I I don't have any rooting interest for or against the Browns. But I was sitting there like I was the biggest Tennessee Titans fan. I was like. Derrick Henry, go baby, go, <laughs> right. go! And interceptions of of, of the of, of of the quarterback, and it was just I, I don't yeah. know. Is it the quarterback that I the reason I root against him? Is it the fact that I've been force fed that the Browns are going to be so good this year? They're the that. team. What 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 is it? is it a combination of the quarterback and that? What what is it? It's probably a combo, but I'm with you. We were force fed that they're going to be so good. The Browns are back, and then they go out and do that in the first game. I sort of loved it. Too. I loved it. Yeah, it was great. All right, that's it. One, take a- one quick thing before yeah. we head out that yeah. I, I, I meant to say about the Antonio Brown. What was the first thing you did when you heard the news, when he's, he signs with New England? First thing I did was, let's go look at the schedule. Let's see if they play. The football gods set it up for us that Antonio Brown should be playing on Sunday night, but he didn't. Stupid. Is that an NFL rule? Well, I, I no, mean, no. The Patriots probably could have played him if they wanted to. They just he, didn't want him. He hadn't gotten. He hadn't even gotten a jersey yet. <laughs> he hadn't gotten off the plane. They're yet. only on the R yeah, for Brown I, and I, the they stitching. Couldn't play him. They couldn't oh, play him. but how cl- the football gods set it up perfectly. Well, maybe they'll play in the playoffs. Yeah, maybe. I don't want to wait that long. Maybe though. they'll play in the playoffs. Yeah. Anyway. Well, he's gonna have a hard time next week, Brown, with the Patriots in his first ever game. I it's know a, where he's going. It's not gonna be easy for him. Everybody start him. Start him next week. He's gonna have a field day. No, don't start him. He's only gonna play like one series. Oh, yeah. they'll, they'll be up eighty four to nothing God. after one series. Oh. Uh, all right. That's it. All right. We're good. Right. We're done. Yep. Episode LT. Episode Lawrence Taylor is in the books.